Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle. And this is the third installment of our, our evening with Troy Duffy. A Troy Duffy crushed beer can is the Boondock Saints 2 uh, from 2009. Uh, we have a hunch it was written in about a hard 2002 to 2003. Um, <laughs> considering what kind of uh, person Troy Duffy is, uh, it probably took a lot of convincing to get this uh, movie off the ground. Um, this, is, of course, is the sequel to Boondock Saints 1. And, uh, yeah, go ahead, Trevor. It's the uh, second and only other film in uh, Troy Duffy's filmography, not counting the documentary Overnight, uh, which Kyle and I covered earlier this month. Um, I will correct you, however. The full title of the film is The Boondock Saints, colon, All Saints Day. All Saints Day. Um, it did indeed come out in 2009. Um, it does not take a genius to understand that the way this film got financed was largely on the strength of dvd sales because uh, the boondock saints has a cult following mm-hmm. um it's well documented that it didn't <laughs> it barely had a theatrical release however uh home media consumption of it and like uh screenings and airings on uh, cable networks and stuff was really prevalent throughout the 2000s um so i think it went into production around 2008 and uh, came out in 2009 uh a Lionsgate production. Um, I don't know what it is about like late two thousands Lionsgate films, but they were into some trash. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, it, a lot of it is trash that I like, like Punisher Warzone, for instance. Um, but man, I don't know. They they were just like cranking shit out <laughs> back back in the late two thousand late two thousands. I think they still kind of are. It's kind of in their wheelhouse, but I've always I've always liked that about about Lionsgate. Um, there's some funny connections that's popped up later on in the film um, that I'll make sure to mention. But um, yeah, I think this was written and directed by Troy Duffy, uh, as Kyle mentioned. It does feel like it was probably written several years before it went into production. Um, so Kyle, the first question that came to mind. Um, when I was watching this, was why, <laughs> why does this, why, why did this need to happen? This movie, or why did I make you watch it? Both, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, Trevor, <laughs> you and I both watched the first Boondock Saints, and I actually saw this movie in the theater. And I think I mentioned on one of the older episode, uh, one of the other episodes, that I uh, had snuck beer into the theater because I wasn't twenty one, and I fell asleep, and. Uh, <laughs> You watching this can completely understand why. Um, I wanted you to watch it because I've been wanting you to watch it for a while because it's one of my favorite, wow, that is bad movies. Now, it's not my favorite bad movie. St. Elmo's Fire is my favorite bad movie because it's an enjoyable bad. This is more like, I don't even know how to explain bad. Like, it's it's awful. It's uh, strange bad. <laughs> it's strange bad. Um <laughs> And the reason why we had to, I had to do it for the show is because after I watched the uh, overnight documentary, I'm like, I we have to do something on this. It just, especially since uh, March is coming up, St. Patrick's Day, I'm like, I feel like we should. You, I think you mentioned the evening with Troy Duffy, but I'm like, that's a really good idea. Well, uh, I, like after going through this man's entire filmography, his entire filmography, yeah. Um, I feel a like to I B. need, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally A to B, um, A to B. I I feel like I need to like sit down and watch like the Care Bears movie or something like 
it's it's been like a a deep dark dive into this man's psychological profile and it's like i need to get out of troy duffy's head because i think i'm going to start using words that you're not supposed to use in your daily life and it's just a little bit depressing (laughs) yeah it i feel like i should watch something like refined like a nice nice like classic film like classic black and white like I don't know. Uh, yeah, I need a something. palate cleanser. A after palate this cleanser. Because you know, you you. I mean, the expression goes like, "What you stare into the abyss and it stares right back." Yeah, it's um. That's exactly <laughs> there, what's or what the, the uh, you you ain't changing the devil. The je- devil changes you. <laughs> <laughs> to quote eight millimeter. Um, yeah, that's what I feel like right now because we have spent the equivalent of an entire evening with Troy Duffy. I mean, three films, and it's starting to beat me up a bit <laughs> well it, it's over now unless we can get that um that boondock saints origins which i'm hoping and praying that they can get off ground um did you I'm get s- that primo box yet uh <laughs> <laughs> primo box set? no i did not get my primo box set i think i am gonna just go ahead and throw them some money like hey maybe it'll help if not hey i lost 10 bucks big deal uh, <laughs> if they're asking for anything over 30 dollars they're out of their minds um but yeah, let me just we'll just run through the plot real quick. So the brothers, after um, giving away their identity, shooting uh, Yakaveta in the courtroom at the end of the last movie, um, they have left the country. They fled the country and they're living in Ireland. And somebody stages a killing of a priest in order to entice them to come back to the United States. And then, for no reason whatsoever, they just start shooting people who are bad. And then um, eventually their dad shoots Peter Fonda, and that's the end of the movie. Uh, did I miss anything? Or I don't think that you did. I mean, <laughs> there, there, there may be some details here and there, but I think it's very telling that you saw this movie in a in a dark, loud theater, um, and you fell asleep. <laughs> um, before we started recording, I had mentioned that. I don't know that I've felt this like disengaged with a piece of media in a very long time. Like for me, like when when I put on a movie, like I gotta set time aside and I have to be like in in a certain state of like mental awareness to to do it because it's something that I enjoy and I I don't like feeling that I'm enjoying a film passively mm-hmm. or taking taking in a film passively. I didn't enjoy this, but. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like I just found it very difficult to give a shit about anything that was happening in this. So like those fine details that you took special care to gloss over, a lot of those would have been lost to me if not for the fact that I was watching this for a podcast where I kind of pride myself on paying attention to some of those details. This is the kind of movie that if I was not paying attention to a movie... And it was just on, like if I was like I had the counselor on in the background, and I was just kind of watching the Javier Bardem uh, parts or something, and then that movie was over, and I was still not watching the TV, and this came on, I would change it to a different movie to not pay attention to. That's how like annoying this movie is. Like this isn't even really a movie, I don't think. Like (laughs) this was this was somebody's like uh, this was just somebody's little passion project that (laughs) wasn't released in theaters, but no, it was parts of it do feel like it's just it's not a com- the script isn't a complete thought it's just kind of Troy Duffy got financing had enough of a script put together to get to go into production and then just filmed scenes 
that he wanted to film. <laughs> Pretty much. It's just like, hey, I got three bros in a car. Let's have them say stuff at each other. Oh, um, um, actually, rewatching this, uh, Clifton Collins Jr., I actually enjoyed him more this time. I He gave me some legit laughs. Now... I wanted to mention at the top here. I feel like this movie is more of a, a comedy, and you were you were mentioning tone before we um, before we started recording. Um, give me just a moment, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so I feel like Clifton Collins Jr.'s character was uh, his character was pretty funny in this, and then I was like, I was having like a few laughs, and I'm like, oh, that was supposed to be for laughs. That was supposed to be for laughs. I'm like, is this a comedy technically? Um, well, that was that was part of my difficulty in investing myself in this film is that the tone is very difficult to pin down. Um, the, the first one had like, I guess it was more of a I wouldn't say dark comedy, but. The killing, like we said, like it wasn't like it wasn't heavy. It was kind of like almost justified. So in this movie, it was it wasn't really justified. I just feel like it was for laughs. Uh, a lot of it for me had to do with the the portrayal of the saints, because like we keep wavering back and forth between like treating them with this like air of reverence, where again we have our church choir blasting like whenever something of any sort of emotional gravitas is happening. Um, but then, like, before almost every instance of violence in the film, uh, there's... <laughs> they're shown to be kind of clowns. Like, they're shown to be incompetent. And yet they continually succeed and and have this, like, malicious, murderous intent, like, buried deep within them. So it's 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 very strange. It's like, am I supposed to be laughing at them? Because the movie doesn't seem to know which one. Like, am, am I yeah. supposed to think they're cool, or is it cool because they keep winning despite being an utterly incompetent? If he had called this movie a comedy, I would give him a pass. Like, I think that there, I had enough. I had a few laughs and giggles in here. I'm like, you know what? It wasn't a very good comedy, but at least he called it a comedy. But I don't think he's calling this a comedy. Well, I mean, there there is something to be said for you know doing a sequel and like turning things upside down like just saying fuck it you know i i can acknowledge the the stupid elements in the first film let's just throw them out the window and and point and laugh at them but they don't go it they don't go that way 100 percent. so it makes it very confused greenly like there i'll i'll, I'll highlight my uh, my legit laughs but uh uh my first note on here is uh here we go <laughs> do you want to do you want to jump into to jump into this uh you mean our opening shots yeah you want to um jump? i'll i actually i can i can actually do rocco's dialogue if you just want to set the scene and i'll do rocco's dialogue for you so what we see rocco walking down the street uh in the open air he's got sunglasses on <clears throat> and he's walking to a church and rocco's uh, dead by the way yeah by the way rocco died in the previous film so it was a little weird to see him start the film like as the first thing we see but yeah what was his dialogue here okay so he we 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 cut to Rocco walking down the street in his sunglasses and he's dressed like a saint now for some reason 
But he's like, in this world, there are two kinds of people, doers and talkers. Talkers just talk, you know, and doers do things because they do. And, you know, if you're in a coffee shop, you're probably a talker, but you got to be a doer if you're going to be a doer. Yeah. <laughs> That's the fucking dialogue, I swear to you. Yeah, that is his opening monologue. Um, I actually quoted one thing, like, word for word all the rest of it is just coffee house bullshit yeah yeah there was a coffee in there i knew that <laughs> yeah coffee house bullshit and i think you and i actually m- made mention of the concept of coffee talk in the previous episode i think um, this podcast is coffee talk <laughs> uh, very much so <laughs> very actually, what, very much so actually so i, I guess what, i guess we aren't doers <laughs> what uh well we're doing a podcast um what uh, what tea you got today? I've got a nice chamomile with uh, some honey and a little bit of a uh, half and half. Oh, uh, I've got an English breakfast uh, with like a quarter of coffee. Nice, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just ha- I just had a little bit still in there, so I was like, yeah, let's pour some tea on that. <laughs> Single life. Whoops, <laughs> forgot to clean my mug. Better pour some more shit on it. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I didn't drink while watching this, because I there's I might have fallen asleep again. <laughs> like I would have woken up at the end, like oh no, not again. <laughs> oh no! And by the way, this film is two hours and eighteen minutes long. That is ridiculous. Well, that is we'll ridiculous. get to why. I can tell you exactly why it's that long, which is why Godfather Two is the longest of the Godfather movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I saw uh, I rented this off of Amazon. By the way, um, I it was saw still that on there's Netflix. a. Di- there is a director's cut. Oh my god, there is? You didn't watch the director's cut? I didn't watch the director's cut because the uh, the length, I was like, two hours and 18 minutes is asking a lot, um, but I noticed that the director's cut didn't have any additional minutes added to it, so I, I didn't know what to make of that. And I don't think it's an actual director's cut. I have a feeling it's just like extra violence. And this movie isn't very violent, so no. what am I paying for? Um. But yeah, the the opening monologue with Rocco talking about doers uh, immediately brought to mind uh, Pain and Gain. Oh, I haven't seen it. I haven't. Um, I have not rewatched it. I'm saving it. I'm saving it for when I completely remember nothing about that movie. <laughs> okay, so well, I'll set you back a couple weeks here and uh, just make mention of uh, <laughs> Doctor Ken shows up. Ken Jong. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shows up as a motivational speaker in Pain and Gain, and uh, <laughs> he imparts this concept of being a doer. To Marky Mark, um, and they have this big scene where th- this is like the catalyst that gets him started on his path to stupidity and darkness. <laughs> is, uh, he embraces this concept of being a doer. So I was like, oh, I guess Rocco is at the conference too, <laughs> uh, in heaven or hell or wherever he ended up. Um, but yeah, it comes across as again we talked about the the Holden Caulfield like young man with a chip on his shoulder kind of monologue. It's just like, yeah, people talk a lot, and they don't do stuff. So people that talk suck unless they do stuff, at which point they become a doer, which makes them a good guy, which makes them a man. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to man later oh, on. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but then we cut to Ireland, and my, my, my note here says Ireland dot 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 when? Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I was like, Pat- is this the 1800s or 1600s or something? Sean Patrick Flannery looks like he's he just woke up and he looked like he looks like he's had a two day drinking bender and he just got some sleep and he slept for like twelve hours. Like he looks 
like hung over his shit like he well, was just not not, not to utterly derail things right off the bat um but we need to talk about his appearance in this film because mm. i i don't know how old he was i'm guessing he was in his 40s by then by then um but he looked he looked like a baldwin <laughs> to me oh, he looked yeah, a little a little bit like steven maybe maybe alec like alec now Alec not now. not 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 Alec in 2009, but like Alec Baldwin now. Yeah. But yeah, like he his face is kind of puffy and his eyes have narrowed. I've and had this yeah. look on me. I've had this look on me when I've like if I had some drinks and then I don't get very good sleep that night and then I sleep for like ten and a half to twelve hours the next night and it's just like it's too much sleep. He just looks like he just got too much sleep. Oh man, that needs to be a skit, like Hangover Face. It's like just some. It's like you start out like shots of somebody, some young guy, young handsome guy in a bar getting blasted. And then he wakes up and he's Alec Baldwin <laughs> until he like hydrates and then he like turns back into himself. I mean, so and, Alec, Alec Baldwin face is hangover face. I mean, what's his face? Uh, Norman Reedus looks. He actually looks like a present day. Um, oh, what's that little shit's name? I forgot. John Connor. Um, Edward oh, Furlong. Yeah. He actually looks like a full-blown Edward Furlong here. I, um, I want to bet I I want to say that he has better teeth, but we'll see. <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, they are in Ireland uh maybe in this century. It's probably supposed to be the former one. I don't think Troy understands what Ireland is. I was but, half expecting Connor and Duncan McLeod to run up on them or something because like the combination of their appearance and their surroundings and even the guns they're carrying yeah, it looks right? like it looks like this is taking place in like colonial times or something. Well, I mean, they're squatting, but they're also known Irishmen squatting in Ireland. So maybe this is just how you squat in Ireland. I don't really know. Like you just go completely off the grid and you just hang out with. This is not healthy, man. You cannot be living in a small house with your dad and brother, just taking care of sheep drinking whiskey with dinner and smoking cigarettes those guys are going to be dead in 10 years if this oh yeah no they they would pickle their their livers and if not like punch each other to death or something <laughs> what are they even going to talk about they only have a radio they don't have shit to talk about they have <laughs> one yeah they already they already know everything about each other um uh, their dad's already told them all of his prison stories they don't have a tv they have a fireplace and bottles of whiskey how are they getting the whiskey yeah, and and later on we we learned that like Dad didn't even bother to tell them some of the more exciting stories of his youth, so they had nothing but prison stories the entire time. Nothing but prison. <laughs> oh yeah, still no mention of mom, by the way. Nah. Like barely, barely. Yeah, why did they go hang out with their mom? Jeez, I think she's supposed to be dead or something. Although you know the the uh, cut footage from the first film, I guess maybe that was something they were waffling on. Well, she wasn't um, going to make it much long after that, <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, both of the McManus brothers, uh, I can't remember their names, but it's, at least one of them's Murphy. <laughs> Con- Connor and Murphy. Connor and Murphy. Uh, the McManuses, Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus, uh, they both have Rip Van Winkle beards, long hair. Yeah. They're, they're sheep herders. They're living with their da. With uh, dad. Played by Billy Connolly, and uh, who looks the exact same. He looks yeah. the exact same from the first. Yeah, movie. he's aged very well. Very um, well. I guess. I guess he dropped off the face of the earth recently and like had a health scare or something. But 
he gave like one of those i'm not dead yeah. <laughs> i'm just very badly burned <laughs> uh, are they staying in the house from the witch it looks like it, it looks exactly <laughs> like it. um and we get some narration here that is very awkward because it's all billy Connolly, and he's just saying poetic shit that doesn't have much to do with anything but he uh, there was one decent quote in there. Peace is the enemy of memory. Whatever. That's, that's a decent quote. Troy Duffy does have like weird poetic isms in him. It was probably written by his much smarter brother. <laughs> I don't know about that, but he he has this like way with words where it sounds cool, so it's that's good enough to get it into the movie. But when, but the artificiality of it is what hurts it. It comes mm. across as pretentious as opposed to organic. And something like that is not something most people say in their daily life. No. Um, anyway, uh, it's nothing but voiceover for a few minutes. And it's all like Billy Connolly talking about how his boys are like boiling under the surface or something. And they have this really awkward dinner together. No one says a fucking word. No. <laughs> it's just three dirty men, dirty Irishmen eating dinner together. And then uh, not Tom Wilkins shows up. Well, I have a can of beans. Something's happened. <laughs> can of beans. Can something's of beans. happened. Yeah. Can of beans. They're just eating. They're just eating beans out of a can. And then yes, uh, priest shows up. Yeah, uh, not Tom Wilkins. That's why I was calling him because he looks kind of like Tom Wilkins, but he is most certainly not Tom Wilkins. Um, yeah, he makes mention of something has happened. And then I believe we just cut to, like, uh, some shadowy footage of what actually happened. Yeah. And it's in Boston, and we get this weird, some kind of throat singing. So it could be like... Oh, yeah, I was going to mention that. uh, It's like, it's either Mongolian or Tibetan or something. Yeah. And it's, again, like, like they did with the Catholic Church Choir stuff. It's like, yeah, it sounds important. Yeah. Sure, we'll go with that. It's like it's totally out of place, but whatever. Um, and then some shadowy figure with a crew cut uh, kills a priest in his own church in Boston. Yeah. Um, but uh, the priest is like, yeah, they're they're framing the bodies. He's not even Irish, is he? They're framing. I the think pool. he is. Is he? Irish? I think okay. he is. Oh yeah, they're framing the bodies. They're making it look like they killed him, but they couldn't because they're here. <laughs> Billy Collins like, yeah, well, you know, they he's just trying to get the, trying to rile him up and trying to take him, get him to go back. Problem is, because of how badass they are, it's gonna work. So we get it. We cut to them showering in a barn, and like, there, there's one, there's a way for you to edit a scene like this to show like. These guys are like super poor. They're roughing it out there. Um, uh, Brokeback Mountain. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a scene where Jake Gyllenhaal, um, he's doing a, uh, a sheep drive or a cattle drive with uh, Heath Ledger's character. And mm-hmm. because where they're at, they're up in the mountains and it's cold. He has to just rough it. He had like he's naked in a creek. Uh, I mean, the, the scene is serving something else, but essentially he's naked in a creek uh, doing his laundry and washing himself. He's roughing it, and there, there was a, it was a, it was a good shot. You understand what's happening. This, on the other hand, we're like getting jazzed up while we see two dudes' asses, uh, all soapy. Like, yeah, here we go. It, like the music kicks in. We get like these, like, uh, 
really quick, really quick zoom in on their uh, tattoos and everything. Like, oh, this is awesome. Two naked dudes are about to go kill some people. <laughs> and I think um, he put it in here because he edited out that scene that we talked about with his mom in that first movie. We would have mm-hmm. gotten to see both of them naked, uh, but that got cut out of the movie, so we needed to put it in the second one. Yeah, maybe he was like, it, it was very important to him, and he was upset with the studio. That's like, you, you cut out that man butt. Both of those man butts. Fuck! The Boondock Saints is not complete if there is not man butt. I need they are four, twin brothers, goddammit! <laughs> I need four snow-white ass cheeks with suds on them, okay? Four. Get them lined up. Um, yeah, uh, interesting use of male nudity. Not yes. sure what it was meant to convey. Um, yeah, this is the first of what you and I have been referring to as like Steven Seagal speeches. Um, there, there were some instances of those in the first Boondock Saints, and this is the first of them of many in this film. Many. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm, what we mean by Steven Seagal speech is Steven Seagal has this thing that happens in a lot of his movies where someone shows up that knows him mm-hmm. or knows of his reputation and has to dump exposition about how awesome he is. And uh, like on Deadly Ground has my favorite example of it, where it's just Arlie Aramie talking to the other expendable thugs at this oil oil rig, and just going on and on and on about how amazingly badass Steven Seagal is, while we keep cutting back to him killing people in amazing fashion. Um, it's essentially what Richard Crenna did in the first Rambo and all other subsequent Rambo films. <laughs> um, Basically, it's just somebody shows up, talks up the badassery, the badass elements of, of our central character, whatever. Speaking of which, um, Detective Bloom, uh, Julie Benz in this movie, she was in that Rambo uh, movie, that brutally violent Rambo movie. Um, yeah, I, you, you beat me to it, but I wanted to point out that I feel like Julie Benz was on contract with Lionsgate because mm. within at least, within probably less than three years, she did this Rambo and Punisher Warzone. Um, oh, so yeah, I forgot about she, that. She must have had like a multi picture deal with them or something. She's in two of my favorite bad movies. <laughs> Good for you, Julie Benz. Good job. Couldn't make um, the scene almost fire cut, though. That's fine. Uh, their <laughs> tattoos, um, I don't want to get into it too much, but it's stupid. They have half of Jesus on top of one of the brothers' back. And then for some reason, who did this tattoo? They have the other half of Jesus on the other brother's back. Who did this tattoo? Their dad had to do this tattoo. Do they have a tattoo guy in Ireland that knows where they're hanging uh, out? I mean, we see them doing tattoos on each other, so maybe that's how they did it. But they look the exact same. Oh. So who drew it? I need to know who drew it. Uh, it was, it's a complicated series of mirrors, Kyle. <laughs> I was thinking maybe they did it like Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein would take uh, pieces from comic books and blow them up giant and then paint them in. So maybe they had like a projector and he had to just like stand still. And maybe oh yeah, like, they had an overhead in, in the in the shack that they're living yeah. in. Yeah, they and, had. You know, uh, he just like keeps whipping his head over to the side to like, do I got it? Do I got, do I got it? it? Do I got it? <laughs> Doc, can we get uh, can we get a TV in here? No, need a projector. <laughs> For the projectors. <laughs> yeah, they, they bought a generator and an overhead projector just so they could tattoo each other's backs. All the while, Daz just like, oh my god, my fucking shithead sons. I would like um, it if but you... Yeah, they, uh, go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, they, they shave with knives because oh, that's what cool people do. 
Um, they shave their beards very cleanly, by the way, with yeah. knives. And uh, they wash themselves up. Uh, when they first leave the shack to go clean themselves up and get ready for killing, um, the door close sound effect that they use is like the stock door noise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like I can see that. <laughs> it's so pathetic. Um, uh, Troy, yeah, they also door. <laughs> they do the John Wick thing uh, where they they like dig up their guns, I guess, and um, a shit ton of money. And a shit ton of money that they probably could have been using, but whatever. And they get their uh, go- super gaudy necklaces that I'm sure somebody out there wears a repl- replica of that somewhere. Yeah, a priest. <laughs> no, not like that, dude. <laughs> These things are massive. That's what I'm saying. The priest is the only one that has like the leisure time and the space to pull off a, a, a necklace that big. Priest bling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the way, this whole time... So they, they, they wash their butts, they shave with knives, they dig a hole in the backyard to retrieve their weapons, they come back to the shack, and the father's still there. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like, what what the fuck? Like, how long has he been waiting? Like, or was he waiting? And Billy he, Connolly the whole time's like, you, you gonna leave? Like, you, you came here with bad news. You, usually you don't stick around too long after that. They, uh, they probably just hit the hot spots in the shower. Balls, armpits, feet, you know, just real quick. It was, it was actually a much shorter shower than we were given the impression of. But shaving with knives. <laughs> yeah, and they do a really good job. Fantastic job. Uh, the music is awful in this movie. I think Ghost Rider, like, I, I hated the music in Ghost Rider. Not Ghost Rider. Um, Drive Angry. Um, oh. The music was bad in that, but it's so much worse than this, in my opinion. Uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't help that a lot of the music tracks in this have lyrics. Um, which I find very distracting. Um, you, if you're going to do that, it needs to be either I can't understand what it's saying or I know these lyrics like by heart, like Immigrant yeah. Song or like something by ACDC. Like, I, I know what's happening. I don't need to hear it. Not a new song. Don't introduce a new song while I'm trying to pay attention to something else. Well, a, a thing that... I could be totally off base saying this, but a thing that I notice sometimes with like inexperienced directors or people working on low budgets that have to crank shit out fast is editing editing to music is always preferable because the music can guide your edits. Mm-hmm. Like the the rhythm of the song itself can can change your editing style. It can t- it can lay the path out for you. Did you know and, that there's no music when the Tyrannosaurus comes in in Jurassic Park? I just finished reading the book and I had to watch mm-hmm. the movie and I just realized two days ago, no music when the T Rex comes in. Yeah, I'm sorry. Absolutely. I had to. I had, no. to, I had to say that before I forgot. I apologize. But no, I mean thought. you're you're referencing Spielberg, a fantastic director who, yes, if yes. I, if memory serves, has had a lady editor that he's mm. been working with probably since the 70s. She's brilliant. <laughs> Um, she, I don't know if he's still working with her, but I know he worked with her for a very long time, and she was responsible for cutting together some of the best movies of all time. She might be the greatest editor of all time because Jurassic Park's <laughs> the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> I don't know. You might, you might get some pushback on that, but it's a very, very, very good film. Fuck you! You uh, want to fight Jurassic Park? <laughs> <next>? <laughs> all, all the more extraordinary given that it was like the b movie while he was working on schindler's list that's crazy like he was doing both at the same time is there a documentary about that i would love to watch a documentary on how he was filming schindler's list which is 
fantastic, or to quote Joey Diaz, tremendous. Uh, <laughs> it's tremendous. It's tremendous. Cho uh, Rogan is tremendous. Cho uh, Rogan. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And then Jurassic Park, which I love, and I would love to see some deleted scenes, some things that just didn't make it in there. But I don't know if it's there yet. I don't know if we've. I don't know if we've got it. Uh, I, I have the Blu-ray. Um, I know it has a. Uh, a lot of special effects tests that you might be interested in seeing because initially they were considering doing stop motion because the because uh cgi was not proven yet like it had been it had been used in movies it had been used like young sherlock holmes i think is is noted as being like the first instance of a cgi figure uh integrated with live action footage but it wasn't proven when they first went into like pre-production for it, so it's like we might have to do it this way. And the, the test footage looked pretty cool. <laughs> the CGI in Jurassic Park holds up for the most part. There's a few where I caught it and like, eh, it doesn't look that great. But if you would have done some stop motion in there, whew, I can't imagine uh, how awesome. I think it's better as it is, but it just goes to show you how much uh, prep, like shooting good plates and taking into consideration angles and lighting on the set like so you can get your your animators good material to work from and you know coordinate with them before you even get the camera out there like months years before you even (laughs) set up the camera that's how it's supposed to be done nowadays you can cheat though um things can be done more by the seat of your pants because you can outsource each individual shot to hundreds of other animation studios that's why those Marvel movies have credits that run on for 20 minutes. Um, anyway, we should probably talk about uh, something movie, that isn't Jurassic yeah, Park. <laughs> this is hard to talk about. Uh, the point that I was trying to make about editing uh, was that, yeah, there's a lot of not, like brief montages in this movie that are definitely cut to the song. And uh, the, the butt washing... Mm-hmm. The edits there, uh, yeah, they they do this. Yeah, it's like it's like sultry guitars. Dude, um, the bar band is opening up. Like that's what. Like, oh, please welcome the drunk dicks, and then they <laughs> like, please welcome butt washers and the drunk dicks. <laughs> oh, and they just kick in with that nice, yeah, that nice count. There we go. What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. So um, yeah. So. They do say, that weird. They do that weird uh, strobe edit that I, I despise. Mm. Like I absolutely detest like strobe editing. Um, one of the worst examples that comes to mind is uh, the Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, uh, King Kong. Oh, um, I haven't. I've seen it the one time. I'm probably not going to watch it again. Okay. Well, maybe I'll send you a clip from it just so you can know what I'm talking about. It's okay. it's slow motion but choppy. Yeah. And it that's looks what I was it look it looks like somebody fucked up. Like, it looks like someone's doing something wrong. <laughs> it feels... It, is it kind of like a Sam Raimi kind of quick zoom close-up kind of deal, but shitty? Is that what you're getting mm, at? It looks like there are frames missing. Because slow oh, motion okay. is supposed to be yeah, smooth. I know exactly but what it, you're talking about. But it looks about. like... Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. It looks like my old like DV cam footage when it was corrupted in the editor would look like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that brings us to the title card after they uh, they've armed up. Have they gotten um, on the boat, or do we get to Boston? Do we actually get to Boston first? Uh, they get to the boat in a minute here. So we cut from the title cards, which are just, um, I think it's just the Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day, uh, white text on, on black title cards. Yeah. Uh, attempt at class. <laughs> attempt. Um, 
And then we get some news report footage, um, very similar to the the end of the previous film, yeah. where it's just like a news reporter standing outside the church where where the priest was killed, uh, talking about, hey, this is pretty similar to stuff that happened a long time ago in Boston. And uh, we're reintroduced to uh, the detectives uh, from the previous film. Uh, I think they're all the same actors. The, yeah, they are. Uh, Greenlee and the Greek guy I recognize, but the third guy... Like the normal guy, <laughs> um, he was less familiar to me. Um, yes, so honestly, like the Greek guy is overacting and really opening up his eyes in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Greenlee has like just turned up the dumb. Like he's gone like late late series Joey Tribbiani. Like he's way dumber in this movie. Um, and then the other cop is actually doing a pretty decent job, I think. Uh, yeah, he's the normal one. Like, yeah, he's he's. He's the Leonardo. Like he's he's competent. He's not the funny guy. We got two other guys to do that. Greenlee's hairline's starting to go, by the way. Yeah, where you going? <laughs> and then uh, they're they're like freaking out a bit because their fear is that uh, now that if the Boondock Saints case gets reopened, um, they fear that they'll be implicated as having assist in having assisted them. Yes, because they assisted uh, in that courtroom shooting of Yakovetta. Uh, I only saw the Greek guy, but I guess all three. It's all implied play. that it's yeah. implied that all three of them helped out in some way. Maybe, maybe we, just by being aware of it and not doing anything about it. And then we get some some hardcore dick talk about getting raped in prison. Um, so they're super scared, and they're going over the like they're just talking like back and forth really loud. And then I think one of the beat cops comes in and says, "Hey, the FBI's here," and they're like, "All right, we'll be on a sec." Yeah, and we get a weird cut here because. Um, they're told that the FBI is coming, and then they start. We get our second <laughs> Steven Seagal exposition dump here, where they start going back and forth with each other, the detectives, because because they're given the uh, the FBI agent's name, uh, special agent in charge, uh, Bloom. Yeah. Uh, special agent Eunice Bloom. Um, they go back and forth about how she's she was like specially assigned to this case. Uh, she was Smecker. Uh, Willem Dafoe's character from the previous films, like protege, and she's like this super badass FBI agent. Uh, so they're kind of shaking in their boots, and then we cut to a tanker at night. Yeah, <laughs> like we were just in Boston in daytime, and now we're tanker at night. Sure. Uh, agent Bloom, played by Julie Benz, says a bunch of dumb shit, and uh, we're not there yet. Actually, <laughs> she hasn't even said the dumb shit yet. Okay, I don't think she. No, this this is editing shit. This really threw me off because what happens is we're talking about her. We're oh, told right. she's we coming. Yeah. And then we go to the boat and then we go back. You're right because I've got Barge Fight, Clifton Collins Jr., and then Duffy is trying to do some dialogue at this time, which is the Julie Benz. So, yeah, we get to the uh, the, the barge and uh, the, the boys have themselves – the police have themselves an RV. Uh, the boys have themselves a little tent corner, and there's some commotion going on in the, uh, in, the, in the mess hall, we'll say, just where everybody's hanging out. And there's a big old piece of beef uh, looking pretty pissed off in Russian, and it seems as though he's about to fight somebody. Uh, no. Who's he going to fight, Trevor? Is it Steven Seagal? Uh, well, it's uh... – Lemmy from Motorhead, but Mexican. <laughs> um, it is Clifton Collins Jr., uh, yeah. who is sporting a haircut. It's could awful. You, could you it is help me black, explain it? It's a black dog the bounty hunter haircut 
with a little bit more emphasis on uh, the mullet aspect, if that's possible. So the more more party, less less serious up front. Okay. Yeah, way less serious, way less business going on, okay. way more party. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. I forgot I forgot that phrase. Um, but yeah, he is standing opposite this this gigantic apparently French man. Oh, French. Um, par- apparently, mind. most of the crew here are French. Um, but then there's this random Mexican fella. Yeah. Um, and everybody's placing bets. Uh, the Saints bet on Clifton Collins Jr. at some point. Um, but it needs to be noted here that uh, Mr. Collins Jr. Uh, has handcuffs on, and yeah. his hands are behind his back. Uh, and the way this fight starts out is the big French guy comes out swinging, Collins Jr. is like ducking and slipping everything. Uh, doesn't appear like he's in too much danger. Um, and before he even lands a blow on this large French gentleman is when the McManus is bet on him. So I guess they were so impressed with his squirreliness <laughs> that they saw fit to take their pocket money and bet it on him. I mean, it pays off. But It does. It, it pays off, you know. Um, they don't need the money. I don't know why they were doing this. It was just for, I guess it's for funsies. Um, sure, why not? But yeah, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. Uh, gets his handcuffs out in front of him, and he ends up submi- uh, basically uh, doing some jujitsu on this uh, big fella, and makes him tap out. And yeah. go ahead. You think Troy Duffy's a fan of MMA? Trevor, I would be shocked <laughs> if he wasn't. Okay, a fan of MMA. <laughs> Just check it. And this is also when MMA was like this is. It was- it was building like it wasn't yeah. even at the peak yet like it was building it was huge at the time so yeah he's watched some mma yeah i was about to say he he seems the type but yeah he wins via like an arm bar or something yeah um and he he exchanges some interesting phrases back and forth with this french guy yeah um, i didn't catch him he's just talking about how like uh, he make he makes it known. He makes sure everybody in the cheap seats knows he, I am Mexican. Um, and then he's talking about how Mexicans are the toughest people on the planet. And he says to the French guy, "Think about it, man. Tabasco sauce. What kind of fucked up people would invent that shit?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Just in case you didn't know he's Mexican, now you do. Uh, um, and then we we cut from this tanker. At night, back to the church in Boston in the daytime, and now Miss Bloom shows up. Yeah, so this is where she's doing some dialogue. Uh, she's just talking about uh, how smart she is and how smart well, people she, are. She's dumb. introduced feet first. Oh yeah, feet um, first. Very she's, Tarantino-esque. She's a she's a bombshell. I'm a huge fan of uh, Julie Benz. Like, uh, she's great. I, I get a get a bit of a Nicole Kidman vibe from her, but without the exoticism, I guess. I was, I'm a big Nicole Kidman fan as well. Um, well there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I I don't remember all the things she says, but basically she's like, I think the boys are uh, she. We cannot. Okay, there are there's way more deconstructing crime scenes here, and we cannot go through each and every one of them. We'll no. be here for three fucking hours. It. Mm-hmm. He ramped up the breaking down. I think there's like five in here. I think it's ridiculous. They're not. They're not any more detailed than they were in the previous film, but they're more numerous. Yeah, and tedious as well, uh, because her 
her process just isn't as well executed as Smecker's was. No. Because his, we, we pointed out that, like, you know, actual, a little bit of applause for Troy Duffy, like, in terms of editing, we did see a progression in, in the style of crime scene investigation. This one is just kind of, like, haphazard and not terribly engaging. No. Not we all. know that she's very competent, uh, but that's about it. It's not yeah. terribly interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, she... See, she shows up, she starts swinging dick immediately, yeah. and her whole shtick, and I do think it's a shtick, it's a gimmick, is that she's this, like, well-spoken, uh, has a pleasant demeanor, she has, like, a thick New Orleans accent, I think. Um, she really leans heavy into it. Um, and so she has this, like, demeanor where she's very polite and well-spoken, but she if you actually listen to the words that are being said, it, it's very like coarse language. And she's say, basically one of the guys, but she takes advantage of the fact that she's a lady. Think of like a, a more attractive Holly Hunter that stopped going to church. I think that's the, yeah. best, the best way <laughs> to very, put it. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Her, she, the, the gimmick is that she has a like pretty welcoming presentation, but she's, rough around she's the edges rugged. she's rugged she's, she's rough rugged. around the edges so in in short i'm guessing this is like troy duffy's dream woman or something it's like, uh, oh she's intellectual but she can like go to the bar with me and get into fights <laughs> um so she's explaining to the boys after she does her um she does her head her headphones uh deconstructing the scene and she points out that this wasn't the saints this is completely different we get a first move first of a few first movie flashbacks unacceptable uh, <laughs> you can't do it you cannot do it at all um i will say you know what was so cool about kill bill and kill bill 2 volume mm. 1 volume 2 is that i don't know which one is which like i'll think back to scenes that i've seen like killing the the crazy 88 i don't remember which movie that was in or when she Are kills you kidding me? Vivica A. Fox. Like I don't remember which. Are you which kidding one. me, Kyle? I, I don't remember. Those are it, those are two very distinct films. No, they blend completely together for me. I cannot tell you the difference. Are you kidding me? No, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the same fucking thing. The first one to me is immensely more watchable than the they're second. They're both one. good. I, I, they're both them. very. They're both very good. But the like the hurrah moments mostly yeah. happen in the first one. Gotcha. Well, it's supposed to go in like this, just like. But one of these anyway. days, I want to see the the Japanese cut of the Crazy 88s fight because apparently it was colorized. Or oh, it, okay. It they had to make it black and white for censorship reasons. Because we're pussies over here. We can't we're handle a bunch of pussies. pussies. <laughs> can't hand, handle 88 people being delimbed. I don't even think he, <laughs> I don't even think he got to drop the end bomb in uh, in Kill Bill or Kill Bill Two. So he was really pissed about not being able to show the blood. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill a lot of people I'm in this one." So yeah, but so we do ma- get a we do get the first uh, we get a retarded mentioned here yeah. during the scene. I believe so stupid. Um, I am so fucking smart that I make smart people feel retarded. And this I mean, is also the first instance of a bit of gay panic in the movie. And okay, that's, so, that's very important because you had mentioned in the last in the last review that th- that was handled decently. The gay panic in this movie is, I think, a response to maybe there's a decently written gay character leading, I mean, partially leading the movie. Like, he's a... Mm-hmm. 
I would almost say that he's leading that movie. Um, Dude, his face is front and center. About eighty percent of that poster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have. A, I will say he's a gay leading man, written decently, and you get some side cock and little. Like we don't get any um, gay. I don't think there's any gay jokes in that first movie. Not that I can recall. No. In this movie, it's literally like I I might have mentioned before. I have um, I put slashes when I heard dick talk not gay and that's gay and racist like i just kept little tallies along the way there's at least six instances where they're like that's gay two words not gay but yeah. yeah there's a weird like a reverse in this movie where he was i don't the only i don't one. know what happened here because it's funny coming from the same guy i mean yeah it i don't know i don't know what happened but yeah they're it's terror they're terrified in this movie oh yeah no they got a serious case of the not gays um, but, and the first instance of this comes from Greenlee um, when they meet Agent Bloom, a, a very conventionally attractive woman. Yes. Um, she says, oh, I've, I've heard about you, Greenlee. You're the funny one. And he very quickly says, funny as in haha, not funny as in gay. Yeah. Like, who, who's it's like she ever... wasn't going there with that, but okay. Thanks for pointing it out. Who has? Who's ever said, oh, you're the funny one? Oh, you mean the gay one? Who? No one's ever said that. I, I don't think it's ever been misinterpreted that way in the, his, <laughs> in the history of mankind. <laughs> never. It's like, it's like, you're a funny guy. I like you. It's like, you call me gay, bro? <laughs> that, yeah, that's something you see every day. So, yeah, we get our first movie flashback. She tells them that it's not them. And they're also afraid of her because they think that she's going to catch on to them being um, accomplices, basically. Yeah, the editing of the crime scene investigation is a little funky. Um, it needs to be said that um, we do have some decent cut uh, callbacks to the previous film, where Smecker would listen to classical music on his Hawkman <laughs> um, when he was doing his uh, CSI thing. Uh, Bloom has earplugs, so she doesn't listen to music. Um, and then later on, we see Greenlee listening to, I think, yeah. Night Ranger, yeah. which, which <laughs> well, is pretty fucking great. <laughs> that was pretty funny. fucking great. He's legit funny. He's legit story. funny. Yeah, I but, enjoy um, The edits during this initial crime scene investigation are dumb. Uh, we get the sound of a heartbeat, and then we yeah. keep fading to black, and she keeps teleporting around the room, and it's not visually engaging. It's just jarring and confusing um and she through some some shenanigans deduces that we're looking for a very short left-handed man um by the way we also cut back to the mcmanus's uh saving oh, yeah. clifton collins jr uh it's it's a nothing little scene so i'm not going to go into detail but basically some french guys get mad at him because apparently he was supposed to lose that fight uh and the mcmanus's uh MMA him to safety, <laughs> and now they're all buddies. Yeah, um, and we're he gonna have to gloss over. We're gonna yeah. have to gloss over a lot in here. There's a lot of stupid that yeah. doesn't need to be put under the magnifying glass. Uh, although he does say supersized order of freedom fries after uh, I think kicking someone while they're down. It's like, are you sure this is 2009? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this uh, is. Are we in Obama territory by the time this came out? No, no. We were riding Bush hard when this was written. <laughs> when this was written. Yeah. I don't need to make any rewrites. It's fine. Um, so, yeah. So we get to um, the mob here. 
<laughs> there's some pretty funny stuff with the mob. But uh, first things first is the mob boss is uh, Judd Nelson playing Yakaveta's son, which I'm just going to refer to as Yakaveta in this, or you can refer to him as Judd Nelson. doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so he's basically talking to his crew, which is almost zero Italians. Um, there might be one dude, but almost zero. Uh, I think this was filmed in Canada for the most part. Um, if I, I, was, I, was, I was looking on the IMDb. I think this was mostly Canada. Maybe one or two shots someplace else, but probably not. Um, I think that was the case in the first movie, too. Yeah, there was a lot of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just cheaper. But yeah, this is the worst mob ever. Because uh, he's like, I know you guys have been waking up in cold sweats over these guys. I'm like, cold sweats over the Saints who haven't been in Boston in 10 years? Wow, you guys are just terrible. Like, this is awful. You're the worst mob ever. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Judd Nelson, I think, is channeling a little bit of Pacino here, or at least trying to. Um, I got a little bit of a big boy Caprice uh, vibe from him. Nice. But not as over the top. Um, he's trying. He's doing something. Although he's yeah. in maybe three scenes in this entire movie. Yeah. Which is a little disappointing. I would have preferred to have had more of him. Um, this entire scene feels lifted directly from The Untouchables. Trevor, it is. Uh, it's 100% lifted from The Untouchables. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's um, the first movie I have written on here. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. And for you listening out there, I, I kept a running list of all the movies that Troy Duffy watched before he wrote this script. So we have the Untouchables. Untouchables, like, no doubt. Um, Judd Nelson's character's gimmick is that he uh, misuses words. Yeah. Um, I think he, when he's calling the meeting, he he just makes up some gibberish words. Um, he attempts to have like a diverse vocabulary, but uh, he just misuses words. And at some point, one of his uh, subordinates corrects him. Um. I noticed in the background there is a fellow with a shitty wig, or at least just shitty hair in the background, and I, it took me a second to re- recognize who it was, because at first I actually thought it was Troy Duffy. Mm. Um, it is Rob Wells from the Trailer Park Boys. Yes, I have him written down later. Yeah, he show, he actually Ricky. plays a pivotal role in this film. I was just like, what is he doing back there? Like. You can't have that hair and not stand out. <laughs> I was really getting into that show, but Steph was just not feeling it, and I haven't got a chance to watch it on my own, but I want to keep watching the trailer park, boys. But yeah, Ricky. Uh, worth your time. Yeah, Ricky is in this movie in a fairly prominent role. I um, love their landlord. I've, he's f- Mr. Uh, what's his name? I can't remember. But Mr. Don... It's something. Oh, he's it's, so a, it's a great show. Yeah, uh, I haven't watched as much of it as I think I'd like to, but what I've seen, I liked quite a bit um but yeah at some point i uh, i think ricky <laughs> hands hands uh, judd nelson a salami and he uses it to clobber one of his uh one of his subordinates who had corrected him he fucks him up he puts him in the hospital with a salami how is that possible i don't know like maybe he used to be a like major league baseball player or something he's got a hell of a swing andre the giant could put you in the hospital with a salami that's the only person that could that could wield <laughs> enough force to <laughs> fuck you up with a salami. Uh, I feel like that's something somebody needs to Google. Like, who who could knock someone out with a salami? <laughs> I mean... Go- Google comes back with, oh, Andre the Giant, of course. Andre the Giant and maybe The Rock. I think The Rock is the closest thing we've got to The Giant at this point. Well, The Rock now, not The Rock in, like, the year 2000. 
I don't know. He was probably no, 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 no. Rock two thousand more like it because he was actually carrying a well, bit was, more muscle. He was thick. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, well, he had yeah, he had like a bit of a power belly going. Yeah. N- yeah. Now he's like now he's like tight, tight rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, very very similar to the scene in the Untouchables where uh, Arp De Niro as Al Capone clobbers a guy to death with a with a bat. Yeah. Although this guy survives. Because I could, it's it is just a salami. Even though he got his whole face smashed in, it it is just a salami. Um, ne- but yeah, we cut back to the boat. Yeah, what my next my next they go back to the boat and they're like, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. is telling them like, hey man, I'm your connection in Boston. I'm gonna go with you guys. I'm gonna show you where everybody's at. It's basically like Rocco telling them like, hey, I know where everybody's at. I'll help you kill them, and show show you who to kill and Clifton Collins Jr. is basically doing the same thing in this movie he's their new Rocco yeah uh, definitely um, in fact we make explicit reference to Rocco in comparison to him a little bit later in the movie um, this is also where we get more more gay panic mm-hmm. um, where we see Norman Reedus um, I think he's trying to do a tattoo on Sean Patrick Flannery's back and he mentioned something about like wanting to dye his hair yeah, uh, I think to be less conspicuous or something when they get to Boston, and Sean Patrick Flannery just like spirals off into this tangent. Just what I don't want—I don't even want to say the whole thing. But basically, he he uses he uses the f gay word. Yeah, <laughs> and and a few other things. Um, and during this is when Clifton Collins walks in on them, and they do this prank that they—I think they kind of did to Rocco. Where they yeah. pretend that they're going to kill him, yeah, and then they don't, and then they all laugh like a bunch of five-year-olds. They're seriously, seriously immature. <laughs> um, and yeah, he wants Clifton Collins Jr. wants to join them. His character's name is Romeo, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, he makes explicit reference to the first Godfather film. Um, he says like he he makes reference the to head. the the horse head appearing in someone's bed. Um, and then we see a black cat with a priest collar walk by them. They freak out a little bit. End scene. This cat, I don't know what the fuck this cat is there for, but it keeps showing up, and it's it's a little infuriating. Do you remember how funny it was when the cat got shot in the first movie? Yeah, that's what they keep. That's what they keep doing. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. It's just. Are you serious? Yeah. What other reason could there be? I. I don't know, Kyle. I'm asking. I'm actually asking. <laughs> the cat comes across the bar when they're with Rocco. It does. It's the same thing. It's like, yeah, the cat that they they killed in the first movie that he accidentally killed. That's so weird because the cat shows up multiple times in the movie. It's it was that good of a gag that they have to keep bringing up how great of a gag it was that they shot a cat. This is a man who's been pouring booze on his brain for about ten years. Yeah, he's like, it's gonna be so funny. People, are gonna, it's gonna be so awesome. Like, it's like, actually, I don't know how many people even remember the cat. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, um, I have a note down here, uh, and I have a question mark. Um, riots? Was somebody mentioning? Oh, yeah. Um, we, we cut back to Boston, and we're, the police are having a, li- having a little conference. So our detectives and Julie Benz, uh, they all have, like, a cork board or some shit, like, mm-hmm. with a bunch of photos posted up. And they're going on about how and why uh, this is likely the Yakovetic family that killed the priest uh, to get back at the Boondock Saints or something. Um, and I believe the police commissioner, 
war chief. I'm not sure what rank he holds, but he is in the room as well. And he's basically saying tread lightly uh, because these saints figures have pretty public profile. And um, he makes mention of the fact that like if things if we don't go if we don't go about things in the right fashion uh, we could be talking like riots like riot gear at celtics games like Absolutely that that not. that level of that level of public unrest i'm like no nah, i'm pretty sure they wouldn't care that much no one is going to give a shit yeah <laughs> um and then we cut to the hitman um in a hotel room and he has shoes with lifts in them okay yeah so the guy has um he has what Joe Pesci's character had in Goodfellas. He's got the the short man complex where he has to overcompensate for his height. That's mm-hmm. the the whole thing behind him. Every scene we see, he's like, "I'm short, and I hate that I'm short." But yeah, yeah, it's an awkward little scene. Uh, it's just him standing in front of a mirror and like giving himself a little smile when he sees that he's slightly taller wearing these shoes, and that's the scene. <laughs> that is the scene um then we get a decent transition here where we're with the cops and uh i think the commissioner yeah uh, the commissioner and julie benz have gone for a walk because she has this thing where she likes to be escorted so he you know takes her by the arm and they walk off down the hallway to talk shop and it leaves the detectives to sweat in the room by themselves and uh they're they do a little bit of like steven seagal speech here like talking up how like oh the saints are definitely coming like they're they're gonna you know protect their namesake and go off and kill a whole bunch of people and then we immediately just like cut to them in a shitty vw beetle with clifton collins jr it's a nice little transition because it is humorous where it's like we're talking about how awesome these guys are and then we see them in these unfortunate circumstances yeah um where do they go meet his uncle? Do they go meet. Nah, they're head to the docks. They're just yeah. They're, okay, they're gonna go straight to the docks to kill the Chinese people. Yeah, because I I guess that's justified. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's no reason we get. There's like yeah, he uh, Yakovet is working with the Chinese. I guess they're supposed to be connected. Um, here's our third movie reference, The Departed, um, mm-hmm. which would have been out by the time he was writing this, and I'm sure he's seen a billion times. Uh, but yeah. They, I can't go through the whole thing, but like this whole, like this whole sequence is like, it feels like it's 10 minutes long because they plan it kind of, and then they go through it. They go through what they think is going to happen. And then we find out later what actually happens. Yeah. Similar to how the first film worked, although they break their own rules here a couple times, but, um, in the first film they had that that theme where every instance of violence uh, of the saints springing into action or whatever, um, we would cut away from it, uh, view the crime scene investigation of, of the aftermath, and then cut back to what actually happened. Um, in this instance, um, the McManuses and Romeo, they're like crouched behind a wall and they're planning what they're going to do. And uh, I guess Sean Patrick Flannery comes up with the plan but the way it's presented to us up front is uh, in this heavily stylized, it's supposed to be like a 70s exploitation style. Like they even apply like a, a film grain effect. Yeah. So it looks like crappy footage from that era. Um, 
the way he and his brother are dressed, they both have sunglasses and their hair is like done up. Like it's supposed to be like hyper real. Like this is an imagined course of events. And they they ro- they roll up on the dock workers. They kill them like flawless victory. And the whole thing has I think like Wawa guitar playing over it and stuff. It it's supposed to be cute, but it comes across as kind of tedious and um, I think as you had mentioned a little overlong as well. Um, and then just like we did in the previous film, we cut to black before they actually go out to do what it is they're gonna do. Um, and this is where Greenlee listens to his motor in. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it's to get him in the zone or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's going to fucking help. Um, but then Julie Benz is also there and she's like, uh, let me do it. <laughs> so she conducts her investigation. And uh, we had a, a, a decent callback that I think our, uh, our audio cut out. So it may not be in the recording we did for the first Boondock Saints. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a nice callback to the first movie here where the Greek detective um, asks Julie Benz, uh, what does it symbolize? Yeah. And uh, it needs to be noted that Willem Dafoe had this big, long exchange with this this fellow in the previous film about um, the use of language and what you mean is symbolism. <laughs> symbolism. Yeah. Uh, but it is ultimately like kind of a fruitless callback because um, her explanation actually doesn't answer his question at all. <laughs> um, but then, uh, then we see what actually happened. Do you want to give us a little bit of insight into how this the shootout went down yeah they uh they um clifton collins says he has his forklift his uh, his forklift license so he convinces them to get into a box and they're going to basically um sneak in and trojan horse it i suppose is the best way to sure um they fuck that up uh they fall out of the box or clifton collins jr like wrecks the for- forklift and then they jump up and they shoot these guys, basically. Uh, that are there's the 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 numbers just aren't adding up here. Um, there's cocaine. There's one guy on a forklift doing the co- like transporting the cocaine. These guys are very well lit in a warehouse messing with the cocaine. There's like five dudes. Shoots all of them. Um, and. <laughs> They they get the booty, they get the loot, and it, and what's uh, the forklift driver is talking to Clifton Collins Jr. I had a legit laugh at, at this point. He's just like, "Why did you knock me out? You could have just taken the keys and stuff." <laughs> and he's like, "I could have just left." And Sean Patrick Flannery just like gets fed up with him talking. He's like, "Fucking leave!" Like he just <laughs> screams at him. I yeah, it was, it, it was a funny little exchange, and was, we have a little. It reminded me a bit of Men in Black, where uh, they give they. Clifton Collins Jr. asked for a gun. Yeah, it's it reminded me of they, Tremors and Men in Black because in Tremors, if you'll remember, Melvin wanted a gun and they gave him an unloaded one because he's a stupid teenager. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then of course in Men in Black they give him the noisy cricket or whatever. Well, on the boat, like, can I get a gun? They're like, no. Okay, he's like, I have to have a gun if we're gonna go do this. They give him a small gun, and yeah. um, they call it a pussy gun. It's stupid. <laughs> Um, it's it's very stupid but he basically what happened is he he clocked this guy in the head he like pistol whipped him with it and he he blames the gun for being too small and that's yeah. why it only hurt him instead of knocked him out and he said oh you could have just point it at me and told me to scram yeah um <laughs> dialogue is terrible uh we get some blade-esque techno 
did yeah, just that. like the just like the first movie, um, a lot of techno when we're shooting people. Um, really obnoxious use of slow mo. Actually, every every instance of violence in this movie had me just cocking my eyebrow and going, "This is two thousand nine. Yeah, no, no, this is yeah. this is horribly dated. Like yeah. the the energy and the and complete lack of choreography in these in these supposed action scenes is maddening i mean i've, I've gone on record many times saying i watch a lot of direct video crap um, that had a lot more effort put into it than than this because yeah, really you're... the way this shit is shot is just shots of them shooting and then reaction shots so it's action reaction but all the movies that you watch that are really bad it's the choreographers that are doing the movies or it's only the choreography they care about so it's that that is true so there is an expectation that's like if we're going to make a shitty movie for no money we're we're going to at least have fun doing it yeah but this is just sad cuz really um Troy Duffy and and Tarantino quite obviously both watched some some John Woo movies um Troy Duffy seems to have really, really, really latched onto it for sure. Um, but yeah, like every instance of violence is just kind of people walk into a room, usually with a gun in each hand. They shoot a bunch, and then we see a bunch of people fall down. Like there's no energy, there's no tension. It's no. just flat and boring. And even the violence isn't good. Like the squibs are are minuscule. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna just have people get shot and fall down, you gotta have it like. <laughs> Like Robocop squibs or yeah, something. Something. <laughs> Juicy squibs. Um, they do the stupid shit where they put the, the pennies on their eyes. You know the deal. Yeah. Um, and they make sure to have those scenes in black and white with choir playing over it so it feels like it means something. I'm going to speed us up here because we are over an hour in and we are barely... We are nowhere. We are nowhere near close to halfway through this movie. Okay, um, be- before we leave this scene, though, I do want to say that Julie Benz... Uh, says she refers to the saints as one of the three most lethal individuals on the planet. Oh my god! Are you fucking kidding me? Three no, drunkest people on the planet. <laughs> no, nowhere near. I'm sorry. No. They they have killed some people. <laughs> <They've> <laughs> That's about it. Some people. They Mafia- killed some people. <laughs> the, the the Italian mafia have killed more people that day. <laughs> they have accumulated in their yeah, career and, as vigilantes. And in, in every instance, they're getting by by the skin of their teeth. It's not Seriously. like they're like it's, they're not fucking jaws. They're not killing machines. Um, anyway, yeah. where you want to leave us? Like, I was going to say, take us to um, Julie Benz. I guess goes through the crime scene and says that they're trying to convince Julie Benz that it's not them, and she's like, "Nope, it's them." And they're like, "Fuck, she's going to figure it out." Um, I want to get over to Doc. I want to get to the bar. Oh, yeah. This is one of the first things you told me about this movie, actually. Yeah, because I actually heard it from another podcast pointed pointed this out. But they, they go back to that uh, that bartender who has Tourette's. I'm surprised he's still alive for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. He's pretty old in that first one. Um, they go back to his bar, and he's like, Yeah, you boys, can you, you can crash here. It's no problem. Like, how'd you know we were coming? He goes, Oh, the Lord told me. So apparently, like... Their Alfred or their uh, Zordon is the Lord, <laughs> our Lord and Savior Jesus. He's the one communicating with everybody. Um, put a pin in that. 
Because okay. by the time we get to the end of this, um, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, he, the bartender's like, yeah, you boys can shack up here. I've got a, uh, I've got this hidden room in the back. I'm like, dude, why would you? He's like, I just use it for storage. I'm like, you have a bar in a metropolitan area, and you have available space to put people in. That's money, son. Like that's more. That's more booze you can sell. He says that this, uh, the room was used as a speakeasy in the 1940s. <laughs> uh, a speakeasy in the 1940s. You might want to double check your dates there, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think that we were not allowed to drink alcohol in the 40s. Yeah, I'm Quite pretty the opposite, sure. Actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were indulging in the yeah. 1940s. Um, by mm-hmm. the way, they introduced Clifton Collins to him as this is our Mexican. Yeah. Oh, um, it's. It's bad. Yeah. I he the racist. I think this movie is the most out of all the tallies. It's racist before anything else. That's the, the one that wins. Yeah. So they are they're doing some drinking back there. He's got Bushmills. By the way, Trevor, I know you don't drink, but I'm gonna let you know Bushmills is the is not a good whiskey. There are good <laughs> Irish whiskeys. Um, Red Red Breast Twelve specifically is a really good Irish whiskey. Bushmills is not very good. Jameson is okay. better. But um, he's got Bushmills, and they're eating lobster? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know what they're doing with lobster, but they get drunk. Um, they get so drunk, in fact, that we actually, like, fade out from the scene of them getting drunk and then fade back to it. Yeah. <laughs> so they black out and continue to get drunk, and then there's a shot in here of... Sean Patrick Flannery running around holding a lobster over his crotch yelling lobster dick. It's pretty stupid. Um, I don't know the context or what what that was supposed to mean, but sure, lobster dick. Whatever. Um, Yeah, pretty stupid. Uh, They're drinking drinking on the pool table, which is a dick move. Uh, Yeah, you don't do that. Um, People use that, man. So yeah, where do we cut? I have... um, We cut to Da... I was going to say, I, I see a flashback and a scream. Yeah, we, we cut to Da, and uh, it, I didn't catch the year. shows how much I was paying attention, but it's New York sometime in the past. Um, and this is where we start getting our Godfather 2 reference going, our and, long Godfather 2 reference. And that's one of the reasons I don't really like the Godfather 2. It's kind of a boring movie, and I could give a shit less about the early Don Corleone. I'm sure the no- book... The book might be more interesting, but like I don't really like that that second Godfather movie because it's just like eh, I don't care. I, I enjoyed it, but it I I do see where you're coming from though. It does come across as a bit disjointed at times. Um, that that party scene in the opening, like logistically, is very impressive from like a directing standpoint. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, it is like 45 minutes long or some shit. <laughs> like it feels like you're at like a wedding or something. It's like. Or I could go to a wedding. <laughs> it's um, as long as Das Boot, I'm pretty sure. It's <laughs> just the wedding. Um, but yeah, uh, Da, back in the day, apparently worked at a leather shop of some sort yeah. with his Da uh, in New York. And then some Italian mobsters come in. I guess they're shaking his dad down for money or something. And uh, they beat him to death with a hammer in his own place of work. Uh, which obviously upsets Billy Connolly, young Billy Connolly. I don't know this actor's name. Um, 
Nobody does. And the the main thing you need to take away from the scene is that his dad was killed by Italian mobsters in front of him. Uh, he has an emotional reaction to it. And by the way, he has an Italian buddy with a crippled leg who was in the room and was trying to console him. Put a yeah. pin in that. Yeah. Um, and I think this is when we uh, <laughs> enter George. Day. Enter George and his fucking hair. Um, we cut back to a, a high rise. And Yakaveta's guys are all like gathered around a, like a buffet table, did basically. The, did you see the food on this table? It it I didn't pay that much attention oh to it. What's goodness. on there? You got to go back and just see just see it. If you still have it rented, go back and look at the table. I swear to God, there are three loaves of Subway sandwich bread. It looked sad. Like it didn't look delicious <laughs> or anything. They have Safeway shrimp cocktail. <laughs> like it looks like the plastic shrimp cocktail you can just get ready to eat. Yeah. I saw the shrimp. Yeah. Um, the the did, I swear to God, it's Subway bread. Well, maybe it's a, a budgetary thing where it's like, okay, so let's move the craft services table onto the set. <laughs> it is, and they spread it out even more, so it doesn't even look like it's it's that much. It's literally yeah. craft services table. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, what the fuck, man? That's for like the crew. Also, it's like, no, no, no. We, we you can't eat too much of it because it needs to be here until we finish filming the scene. <laughs> Um, so we meet, is this where we meet Gorgeous George? Uh, yeah, uh, Headgear is also here, by the way. Yeah. Um, the fellow that got the salami to the face has headgear, and now he has a funny lisp. Ha yeah, and we're laughing at him because of the fuck. Yeah, I know. dude, he just got his face smashed in. Don't laugh now, at him. I want to give give Troy the benefit of the doubt and say that he's referencing the actual mobster Gorgeous George, but something tells me he's referencing uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Gorgeous. Oh, I'm sorry. Snatch. Gorgeous George. That sounds about right. Although, to be fair, Gorgeous George is a very common nickname. I mean, there's uh, there was yeah. a wrestler by that name as well. Yeah, it, it's really it, you can just throw a dart and it's one of those three probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Snatch does sound about right. Like that sounds like another movie he'd like. Like he doesn't even know Gorgeous George is a mobster. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. Know a real what? What? <laughs> My now, put, put it this way, Troy, Troy Duffy through the 2000s, I'm sure, was watching a lot of Spike. And, yeah. and I'm pretty sure Snatch and The Ultimate Fighter were on just on a loop. Dude, that's <laughs> all he could afford. He just had one HBO station, one HBO channel, and Spike TV, and that's all he was He watching. didn't have HBO. He was watching Stars. I'm talking Encore. cable. I'm talking the one cable channel HBO. Like, I, my talking... vote is for Stars or Encore. Maybe mm. Showtime. Nah, Cinemax. Yeah. Cinemax. Yeah, I could see him having Cinemax. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I could see him having Cinemax. <laughs> it's a two and two and one. You get movies and softcore porn. I get it. It's perfect. Perfect combination. And uh, but yeah, you'll we, get Basic Instinct, which is just a mix of the two. Or maybe you'll get Basic Instinct 2, which I've com- I always forget that exists. I've never watched it. I don't know. I haven't watched. either, but it always blows my mind that that's, that's a thing. I, I mean, American Psycho 2... That also blows my mind, but basically, there's Instinct an American 2, Psycho too. Yeah, I think it. I think it stars Mila Kunis. Oh my goodness! It was like directed DVD. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, but Basic Instinct. I think they actually got Sharon Stone. Jesus. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, Gorgeous George shows up, and he has got a 
fucking hairdo, man. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it did make me laugh just when he came in the room. I was like, whoa, he's a human troll doll. And he's <laughs> the one that completely changes. Yeah, he is a human troll doll. Uh, he's the one that completely changes the tone of the movie. Like, we, it was already kind of a funny movie, and we hadn't quite gotten serious yet. He completely takes it to being comical. Uh, Gorgeous George. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so he shows up, and he's looking at the spread, and I didn't catch all the details here, but basically he uh, he's wanting protection because Yakaveta has basically told all of his guys to lay low, and they're using this, this high-rise apartment, I guess, or office space or whatever the fuck it is, um, as like a refuge. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Yakaveta, uh, Judd Nelson, has like a panic room. And so he's actually viewing everybody else via like a video feed <laughs> yeah and so he's basically just a head he's a, he's a head on a monitor that's surveying the room and uh george tries to talk to him and is asking for protection and yakaveta basically says nah fuck off george like all these guys are under my care but for some reason i don't like you get out of here and yeah and then he goes to get a massage uh gorgeous george does and there's something that happens in here Julie Benz calls, or uh, Greenlee calls Julie Benz, uh, Julie Benz, she was, he was supposed to be looking up something, and he tells her, and then she goes to where Gorgeous George is getting a massage. Yeah, uh, during one of their uh, numerous conferences that the police have throughout this movie, uh, she mentions that he's a, he's a good lead for locating Yakaveta. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she goes to this massage bar, she does the thing where uh, she ushers the the actual masseuse out of the room and then takes their place uh, without the person unbeknownst to the person receiving the massage yeah. and uh then she starts roughing him up and uh, i i want to say we get a little bit of male nudity here it looked we like some almost, shaft or something we almost get some penis but we definitely get some man ass more man cheeks yeah there's there's some more man ass in here um oh. and he's got like bad instant tan and of course that hairdo and- uh She's, no, go ahead. <laughs> she's saying some stuff. She's like, Yakovet is doing this and Yakovet is doing that. I'm like, how the fuck does she know any of this? Like, I have no idea where she's getting your information from. I don't know, Kyle. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't know. She's, it sounds like she's saying specific things. It's not just like Yakovet is scared and he's hiding. She's like, that motherfucker is hiding someplace and he did this and that. And I'm like, and you're out here. Like, yeah, maybe that's what she was like. He doesn't want you in there. That's why you're out here on the streets looking for the looking for the saints or whatever. She's or like planting a seed of doubt in him so that maybe he'll maybe he'll help her or the saints in some fashion because he feels betrayed by his boss. Um, but in between all this, uh, we have an audience with Romeo's uncle at oh, yeah. some sort of restaurant that his uncle runs. Uh, the saints are with him, and somehow his uncle knows everything about the criminal underworld. Everything. Uh, everything c3po of the criminal underworld like he's um very so i i didn't bother to look this fella up um but just from the sound of his voice and the fact that i noted he has a hairpiece uh i think he's the bully from the incredible hulk uh, the brazilian bully um in the you know the early scenes of that ed norton movie um oh. there, there's some like brazilians that are kind of bullying him and then he hulks out and he kills him um, I want to say he was like the lead boy. It's just this tiny little Hispanic man, and he was bald in that one. But I noticed he had a hairpiece in this. Hmm. And you know, I I want to say 
the Incredible Hulk may have been. Yep, it's uh, him. A, I think it was a Lionsgate production as well. So it is that's him. A, damn, Tough I'm good. leader, and then yes, yeah. he's Uncle Caesar. Man, yeah. good I job. Just, his his voice it just stood out to me, and I was like, why does he have a hairpiece? <laughs> it's Pedro, it's never explained. Pedro Salvine. Salvin. Salvin, sure. Uh, yeah. He's he's his voice is weird. Put it that way, <laughs> he sounds like a little goblin man. Um, and then uh, the Saints tease Romeo on the drive back home because he starts crying, and we get this yeah, shot. I don't know why. <sighs> it's very poorly presented to us, and it, it was the only reason I bring it up is because I had difficulty interpreting it. Because yeah, I don't know. He, he's driving and he's looking out the window and he starts tearing up, and then we cut to a shot from his perspective of his uncle touching him on the hand. I think I think, and I I think remember, it's I think it, it's just like acknowledgement or something like he felt touched maybe I think maybe his uncle said something to him like he was really really proud of him or he's like now that because I mean Mexican culture I believe Catholicism is very big and oh, yeah. I, maybe it was something along those lines like now you're walking the path with God and he was like well, maybe he, got that he asked from his uncle or something he asked know. the saints like is is my nephew like pulling his weight and they say, yeah, yeah, he's a stand-up guy. He's all, he's like all heart, I think, yeah. is what they say to him in Spanish. And uh, yeah, then he like touches him on the on top of the hand and like says like good. And I guess that's enough to prompt a deep emotional reaction from him. It's so bizarre because there's not really a callback to it, and uh, they tease him for it relentlessly. Yeah. <laughs> like they're awful to him. <laughs> well, they're dicks. Um, they're absolute dicks. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird like again they're they're like five-year-olds or children um but george after being roughed up by julie benz he uh he goes to his friend uh in some looks like a junkyard or something yeah bill paxton um, he's... somewhere licking boobs <laughs> call back to the dark backward um check it out if you haven't listened to it this guy's um, this guy trying to describe panic room to him is fucking hilarious yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah. So yeah, we get a reference to another movie this time being Panic Room. He's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, like I, th- I think they made mention of that in that one movie." <laughs> yeah. He's the like, "You girl, mean Panic Room?" <laughs> the two guys in the room with the girl and the mom. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear every- not not Jerry Stiller, but George Costanza's father do movie reviews. Just uh, yeah. To this day, one of my favorite lines of his is uh, referencing the net. Yeah. He's, um, it's when he wants to get into computer sales. He's like, "So I was watching this movie with that woman from the bus." The woman from the bus. <laughs> As in speed, but that woman from the bus. From the bus. <laughs> it's oh, a very man. timely reference. Yeah, to have been there. His like. It would just scramble his brain if he tried to explain, like, smoking aces or something. <laughs> the guy, he's on the spaceship, and it was an older movie, now it's new. He's oh. trying to <laughs> describe Chris Imagine, Pine. like, Inception or something. It's like, <laughs> so these guys are dreaming, but they're inside a dream, and they're going off a bridge in a van, but time... Time is different when you're in the dream, dream world. And when you're in a dream within a dream, it gets really complicated and things go really slow. And there's a Japanese man that they need to come up with an idea. It's called it's called dreams 
and coming up with stuff. The movie <laughs> with the lizard and the guy from the Breaking Bad. <laughs> the guy from the Breaking Bad. The just guy from the AMC. We just have him with a commentary over like new movies and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Just like uh, sum- summarizing complicated films. Yes, this, that would, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happen. yeah. While we still have Jerry Stiller, we need him yeah. to do that. Um, don't we get it? Don't we go over to um, Rocco's mugshot? His uh, his grave. Uh, we do, but before we get there, we got a cut back to da. Oh, the fucking vest. He's we making cut back to da, and uh, he's. I thought they were teasing something like he was sick. No, not really. Um, he's cooking back home in Ireland. In Ireland, and uh, he he starts coughing, and it's like, I was like, oh, does he have like tuberculosis or is he dying or something? Yeah. No, he's just he just coughs for some reason. And then he's looking at a butterfly tattoo, which holds no significance as far as I know, but it's what we use to cut from the present to the past. And uh, we see him and his Italian, his uh, crippled Italian friend, take revenge on uh, the fellow that killed his dad with the hammer. Um, it's, you can presume that they, you can assume that, uh, they gained entry to the mob's ranks by, like, buddying up to them in some fashion. Because the way we're introduced to the scene is, like, uh, this, the head mobster is, like, watching them hold someone up at, at gunpoint in a kitchen. It's, like, a weird Mexican standoff situation, and then they turn the guns on the head mobster. I don't I know what the fuck s- happened here. I stop watching. I don't watch these stupid flashbacks. I'm not watching it. Like, I know what you're it, trying to do, and it was already <laughs> unimpressive the first time someone tried to do it to me. I don't want to watch these flashbacks, so yeah, well, you, you tell me. Long story short, they shoot, like, Billy Connolly, shoot young Billy Connolly shoots shoots an Italian guy. He gets um, a taste for uh, killing people, because he's yeah. a sociopath, yeah. Yeah, no joke. Um, and then we go to, like, a mausoleum, where Rocco... His, his ashes are being stored and uh, yeah. there there is kind of a funny beat here with the photograph like yeah. I did actually kind of snicker at that because basically the photo they have up beside his, his urn or whatever is uh, him and it's very clearly like a mugshot and his hair is bundled up above his head and there's just like this weird smudge off to the side and it's very clearly an arm like holding his hair above his head and they note that it's like, holy shit, like they used his mugshot and they photoshopped the arm out badly. I, I had a legit laugh at that. That was pretty funny. No, I, I laughed at I didn't laugh at the nerd showing up and like fanboying out about them. That was just awkward and stupid. Um I have my next note is no accent on Redis. He barely <laughs> talks in this movie. Neither one of them hardly talk and Sean Patrick has... Flannery only yells. Yeah. He only and... yells. Redis has like no accent whatsoever. Like he just completely gave up on it. Completely. Not that he they, had much of one in the first in the first movie. Sean Patrick Flannery did, and he, I remember him speaking more. But in the yeah, in this movie, Redis does not. Um. But yeah, some some glassed individual runs up and is like, "Oh, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm a stereotypical nerd." Yeah. And. If this had been made like three years later, he'd be asking for a selfie or something. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. But this was 2009, probably shot in 2008. Um, and then the black cat comes back again, just shows up. Uh, it gives them pause. Nothing comes of it. 
and this carries on through the rest of the film. Uh, <laughs> so this, uh, I think this takes us to another salon, like a tanning bed this time. Yeah. And G- Gorgeous George is in his European cut Speedo. Um, very ill-fitting, by the way. Uh, it's pink. <laughs> um, yeah, he's in a he's tanning worried. bed, and the, now the saints are harassing him. This poor guy can't catch a break. I kind of like free. George too. Like, yeah, like, like <laughs> I think we can just call this movie a comedy. I'm just gonna call it a comedy because he he is pretty funny too. Um, Greenlee actually had a funny bit uh, right before this where he was talking. Uh, like Julie Benz is leaving the room and he says something kind of like to the other guys. Uh, it's supposed to be kind of inconsiderate and sexual towards her, mm-hmm. and uh, she comes in. And he thinks that she's you know he she heard him and he's i didn't say nothing like he he moves his head like he's about to get hit Mm. um but yeah the boys are like you're gonna take us to where we're gonna kill people next uh you're gonna tell us everything uh he shits his pants which is disgusting um and the boys go to this bar this mexican bar that's down by the docks in boston okay those Uh, exist (laughs) it's not i'm sorry it's not even a mexican bar it's like a mexican like Bar, bar and grill down by the docks and sure. this is the uh this is the departed hangout did you see the departed because they're hanging out in a bar um and this there's basically a, a, a shootout here and <laughs> gorgeous george strapped to that little cart <laughs> fucking i don't think he was supposed to fall he off wasn't supposed to fall. <laughs> I don't but think he was supposed to fall off. Clifton Collins Jr. <laughs> cracked me up at this part. This is where they're... Like, he actually has a regular gun now, I think. He has just, like, regular, like, 9mm or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ends up... He shoots these guys, and he goes, Viva la Mexico! And he he hits that... Ha-ha! He hits that, uh, that really loud, uh, like, laugh that... You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I had to pause it for a sec, because I was having a pretty good laugh at it. He does it really well. Yeah, he says, que viva Mexico, bitches. Um, Not exactly clever, but the delivery was... The delivery was... Yeah, the delivery makes it, but yeah, the words themselves are kind of like, ooh. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was very strange, because basically the premise here is um, they use George to call like a wise guy meeting at this bar. Yeah. So they're, they're waiting for it to fill up, like for everybody who is invited to show up. Um, and in the meantime, Clifton Collins Jr. is acting as the bartender, and they're being casually racist to him, and he's not yeah. taking kindly to it. Um, in the meantime, the short left-handed hitman is in the parking lot, and he has a phone conversation with a mystery man. Uh, basically, he's he was invited to show up at this gathering, but he opts to stay in the parking lot because he, he figures it's a setup of some sort. Um, but yeah, uh, the Saints and Clifton Collins Jr. They they just kind of what they come through the the cupboards of behind the bar or something. Sure. <laughs> um, they use some sort of trap door to get the drop on the wise guys, and uh, they shoot like seven guys. And <laughs> behind them, the reason why I was laughing is that Gorgeous George is strapped to like a like a serving tray of some sort. And when everybody's falling down, all these stunt actors are getting shot with squibs and stuff. Somebody bumps him, and the the, tr- the cart falls over with him strapped to it. Yeah, and it looks like hard. it was probably very painful. Um, but the awkwardness of the editing in this was just bizarre because we get the same 
shot of them getting killed twice. We see it in like at normal speed, and then like a couple seconds later, it just plays back again in slow motion. Yeah, and I don't really know why. Um, but after all the people are dead, uh, they uh, they no, they don't untie George. Actually, he's standing up with the with the cart still strapped to him, and uh, he basically pleads for his life. They do the gag with him, where uh, they th- pretend they're gonna kill him, but they don't. Um, seems to be like a bonding ritual of theirs or something. <laughs> Um, and they let him go with the expectation that like he'll hold fast to his word and reform as a person. Um, and then uh, the hitman shows up and starts just shooting at him. And consequently, though, like Julie Ben shows up also, and she yeah. shoots him, and he leaves. She's she like, shoots. "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> yeah, she shows just th- up. Things are happening. <laughs> she shows up out of nowhere. Uh... And then she explains to them, like, hey, I'm Paul, I'm uh, Agent Smecker's replacement, and he was, uh, well, apparently Smecker was the one that got them out of the country, and mm-hmm. uh, I, it almost felt like they were doing more, like, doing more with Smecker, like, they were doing more stuff, but that's not, I don't think that's what happened. Um, no, um, they do explicitly state that, um, I think the last thing they did was the courtroom scene. Yeah. So it's not like they carried on with doing that. <clears throat> well, I mean, which would make more sense if they were, like, doing this for years after that. He was hiding them and keeping them out of trouble. And then finally they had to just go over to Ireland to, you know, get get away from the heat for a while. But no, <laughs> they did one, two little things with Smacker, and then that's it. And now he's already trained a protege to take over for him. So she hasn't told the the other cops that she's there to help all of them, and like, oh, girls gotta have some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, now they get she, to go ahead. I was just gonna say she does mention that Smecker is dead. Yeah, and that's that's why she's replaced him. And she also alludes very vaguely to some sort of organization or conspiracy. I think she actually uses the word conspiracy okay. um, to to keep the saints out of prison. Yeah. Uh, sure uh whatever okay <laughs> um but yeah she helps them doctor this crime scene um, is it just a bunch of xenophobic priests that are keeping them out of out of prison i feel like that's what it is i think it's the catholic church <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it but um she helps them doctor the crime scene um and we get kind of a cute reenactment scene where she's i think the the cops are there now and she's explaining to them what happened. Yeah. So the saints are gone. They're they're clear of the scene. But this is like she called in the cavalry, and uh, we get a similar reenactment to like the last one in the, the first film, where she's present and she's telling us the story of what happened. So she's like a ghost in the in the room, and the way she spins it is that the mobsters killed each other after a disagreement. Yeah. Um, and the choreography here, like in my notes, I said choreography is cute, like a white snake music video. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Because like her her moves and stuff made me think of like a hair metal band or something. Is this where she's wearing a cowboy hat? Not yet. Um, but okay. this is where she's looking directly into the camera and like gesturing cutely, like pointing when people are getting shot and stuff. Um, it's cute. I don't I don't know if it's good, but it's cute. Um. And I think this is where we get a reference to 9-11, um, our first reference to 9-11, where uh, 
she i guess had the detectives do some digging and they they pull the hitman's file and it's understood that because of the time frame in which he got into the country he slipped through the cracks post 9-11 uh no i think that we were so hardcore locked down around 9-11 like afterwards nobody could sneak into the country we were on high alert (laughs) i guess the idea here is that somebody with a lot of power like must have pulled some strings or something. Was it POTUS? Because POTUS is the only one that could have done it. <laughs> no, it George was Peter w. Fonda. Yeah, it was, Peter it was, Fonda. It was the easy rider himself. Jesus. Um, um, so yeah, uh, this is where she meets them back at the bar, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the way I prefaced this in my notes was, The fuck? <laughs> I called it uh, Sleeper's Get Together. Remember that scene in ah, Sleeper's ah, at the ah, end where yeah. they all get out? Very much so. Singing and yeah. Um, <laughs> By the way, everyone in this room has a horrible end to their life. <laughs> I like. I mean, it's 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 a it's a good movie. Uh, I I love Kevin Bacon's death in that movie. But when when the main guy explains the situation to Robert De Niro, like what's happening, he's like, "Listen, we were raped when we were in boy school, and these two didn't take it very well, and they killed Kevin Bacon." Robert De Niro listens to the story. He's like, "I told." father bobby up my whole story and de niro does not move he just sits there doesn't shake his head he doesn't blink he just it almost looks like a still frame like like a freeze frame no. but he just doesn't move but anyway no, they get it's just a long pause i'm sorry what <laughs> like, i wasn't uh, listening what <laughs> sorry to lose track there but yeah we get to the bar and uh the 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 three three detectives are in there and they're like they're for sure they're fucked like i think they're at high panic at this point and she comes in and's like uh, something in southern accent and then the mcmanus <laughs> brothers jump from behind the bar and spray him with water and, they're fucking children like yeah, god damn it who does that um why is this bar closed why is it open whose bar is this and why are they there? And why is it lit like the set of friends? The last thing you want to do <laughs> if you are an FBI agent and three Boston detectives be seen harboring fugitives who are vigilantes in a public place with cameras in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little awkward. And the way she just nonchalantly brings them over, it's a little strange. Um and they all it, like high five and like yeah, oh, yeah dude. they don't know each other. They, they met, don't know each other. They met one time in that movie. I don't even it. think they did. They didn't even meet. You're absolutely right. I don't right. think they did. Well, I mean, in fairness, they do like high five and shit. And they start drinking, but we cut to them at different ends of the bar. Like Julie Benz is just talking to the brothers, and then the three detectives <laughs> are just by themselves. I'm like, yeah, that that makes more sense. Okay. Mm. Yeah. But, no. It. It. They're way too happy to see each other yeah and they're way too comfortable with the idea of them killing dozens of people in their town i had friends from high school that i was tight with if i saw them now i wouldn't even be that excited to see them and i knew them yeah again this feels like troy duffy shit where it's like i could see that being like part of his self-perception where it's like yeah i want to be that guy that like people show up and they all they all want to hug and they're all excited to see dude troy if you're listening uh, I know you probably are, because uh, 
one of your movies popped up on something. Um, <laughs> Google, Google alert. <laughs> uh, whenever you walk into a room, you are not that person. You are that, oh, my God, he's fucking here. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> we have to go. Like, I can't, I can't handle him. I cannot listen to him. This is ridiculous. So just, just make an excuse. Just... just the, the kid got diarrhea or, yeah, or, or diarrhea. the dog the dog sick the dog sick Di- diarrhea diarrhea chocolate Cho- someone left some chocolate out and we were worried about the dog Fuck dog's not sick your... though that's that's yeah slit your wrist and we'll t- I'll take you to the hospital and say you're going yeah, to do just, something. Just, yeah just drop your wine glass or something step on it <laughs> um yeah so not much else happens at the bar except she. I think she has the boy. Why don't you boys walk me out? And this is where you said she has this thing about them, about having people escort her. Yeah, it's it's a nothing little scene, but it's basically her excusing herself probably to go to the set of Rambo or something. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to leave the movie for about twenty minutes now. Enjoy. Um, Cut to Mystery Man, uh, who we already outed as Peter Fonda. It's not too hard to put together. pulling a bullet from the short hit man uh, that I guess Julie Benz put in him. Um, and their dialogue is subtitled because it's in Italian, but it's at this point that it's understood that whatever this conspiracy is, these people who killed the priest to get the saints, you know, on their trail, uh, they're after Da. They're after Il yeah. Duce, not, Il Duce, not the brothers. Um, <laughs> by the way, this is around the time when I realized... That wasn't Troy Duffy. That was Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> They're very um, similar looking. Uh, they they both have that kind of like meek meek like. Troy Duffy has weird eyes where it, yeah. he almost he almost looks like a, a child at times, where it's he, he's definitely a man, but like he I don't know just sometimes looks out of it in just the right way, probably because he's drunk. Um, and then we get an arming up montage, uh, much oh. like we did earlier in the film. Uh, I think it's at the same guy's bunker. Oh yeah. The, got, okay, so the, the, they de- they decided to make this uh, Irish gun salesman Irish this movie and gave him an accent. If it's the same actor, I'm not sure. He did not. He sounded like who's that dude from A Walk to Remember? Shane? Is it Shane West? Is that his name? He looks and I sounds. Don't know. Uh, it was is that, a Walk that to Mandy Remember. Moore movie. <laughs> yeah, the one where she has cancer. Spoiler alert. Um, he's also in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He plays Tom Sawyer, I think. He had like five minutes in the late 90s, early 2000s. But he looks and sounds like him. But in this movie, he's Irish. So I want to get to my biggest problem with this movie, Trevor. Okay. The Let's Mexican flag guns. So <laughs> for some reason, this guy who is an Irish gun dealer, has these gold-plated Mexican flag gun. Like, the, the, the handle, the actual handle is a Mexican flag. Yeah, and it's a red, green, and white. Red, green, and like white. Pink. And then, so I want to explain something to you, Trevor. Um, mm. the, the Mexican flag is red, green, and white, and it has the national coat of arms on it. It's mm-hmm, in the I mean, center. You and I both know what it looks like. Yeah. Um, can you tell me what the Irish flag looks like, Trevor? Yeah, it's orange, I'll stop you right there. <laughs> it's orange, white, and green. That's exactly what it is. Not that dissimilar from the Mexican flag. The only thing that's really <laughs> different is just, it's a little lighter shade, which is orange of that color. <laughs> and then there's a coat of arms. Yet, 
these are the gayest guns they've ever seen. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Those are, that's so stupid. I'm like, guys, it's a sneeze away from an Irish flag. It's right there. But th- mm-hmm. that's really stupid. That drove me fucking nuts rewatching this. I'm like, you, seriously? Grow up. Like, that's it, it gave, the stupidest thing. It gave me pause because of how childish it was. Because to, to set the stage for this, basically, we're arming up. Uh, by the way, there are like far better, more efficient weapons all over the place that they could very easily take. Um, plenty of assault rifles and submachine guns and things of that nature. No, we're going to take these two long barrel desert eagles. Yeah. These two gigantic 50 caliber Israeli handguns. That'll snap um, their wrists. Yeah, no joke, man. <laughs> Carpal tunnel for everyone. I have them like, how how big are these guns? Because they are two-handing. Oh, like, yeah, two-handing these guns. Just one in each hand. Just And it's not even moving. It's not even like giving some I kickback. Think, I think they may have done some shenanigans with the weapons. Um, maybe... Maybe they used, like, airsoft guns for some of the shots because I noticed uh, there's an execution scene later in the movie where uh, there's zero recoil and even the muzzle flash is not apparent. So I think maybe they, like, post-processed that where they didn't even actually discharge the weapon on the set. Probably because it's being held to the back of someone's head, (laughs) which is not safe even without a projectile. Um, But, yeah, they, they get these desert eagles and uh clifton collins jr takes these two silenced colt 45s with Mm. the mexican flag printed on them and they just glance over his way and oh by the way there's a charlie and the chocolate factory reference here oh yeah um and uh they just glance over his way and they say those are queer yeah (laughs) and then he goes off like he goes off on a tangent saying like are you saying that i look gay do these make me look gay? Uh, so Clifton Collins Jr. has a serious case of the not gays. Well, he can't be himself around these two guys. Well, yeah, because really he can't he can't cry without them calling attention to it and making him feel like a heel. He can't proudly carry weapons bearing the flag of his people without them saying it makes him look gay. <laughs> it might just be Sean Patrick Flannery's character, because as you mentioned before, he's the one making fun of... Uh, Norman Reedus and Norman Reedus is like I was thinking about you know he knew what his brother was gonna say he's like I was thinking of going like platinum blonde and immediately yeah. gay, and, gay, gay 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 <laughs> Reedus, Reedus is kind of like just the the bully sidekick like the the he's the the beta to Sean Patrick so, Patrick so are you saying Sean Patrick Flannery is the proxy for Troy Duffy He's the homophobic <laughs> alpha. Yeah, he's the homophobic alpha. Yeah, he's Troy Duffy in this movie, and Norman Reedus is the actor who uh, negotiated his contract a little more wisely and said, I don't think I want to say all that stuff because I intend to have a career after this. <laughs> Who's the handsome one? Who has the better part of the Jesus tattoo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> I- who was working at an Irish bar in West Hollywood? I mean... Just saying, Just saying, Troy. Just saying. Um. So, following the arming up montage, uh, <laughs> cut to <laughs> Troy. Do you see yourself as a 1998 Sean Patrick Flannery? Is that how you see yourself? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would. No, no, not 1998 Sean Patrick Flannery. Oh, he was handsome as hell. 
It was, uh, he, he he was, but like I think he was a few years removed from Young Indiana Jones by then. Oh yeah. So oh, his, I didn't I, even think about I, that. I think he would he had already crested by then a little bit. Yeah, you might. So <laughs> yeah. he was over the hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, after like twenty episodes of Young Indiana Jones, I mean, what else do you got left in you? I watched no. some of that. I'm trying Have to you see seen I, that, by the way. <laughs> what? Young Indiana Jones? No, I but I, I remember <laughs> you mentioning it. I'm like, I completely forgot about that. It exists. I know. <laughs> I, I remember hearing about it. I just never watched it. Um, the only reason I really knew about it was uh, one of one of my favorite gifts I received in my youth was an Indiana Jones box set on VHS. Um, I had bootlegs of, <laughs> of the movies before that, but my grandma came to town and she bought me that. And it also included one tape of one episode of that series. Of that. Um, that short-lived. It was like the equivalent of like a miniseries, but like, I don't know, 10 episodes long or something. Anyway, um, it's basically Indiana Jones if he was Forrest Gump. Gotcha. <laughs> so like every major event from like the 1910s to the 1940s he was involved in. Did you know Indiana Jones founded jazz? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was so not we aware could, of that. <laughs> of course you weren't. <laughs> um, cut to the high rise. Um, we're back uh, at the Yakaveta headquarters. Um, Julie Benz is in, investigating a crime scene because it's the Boondock Saints. We can never do a action scene straight. We got to come back to it. Yeah. Um, choir music's playing. Uh, and then uh, another FBI agent who has been alluded to earlier in the film shows up, and apparently he's taking over. Uh, his name is Agent Kunstler. And uh, he and Agent Bloom uh, have an exchange. He's, he calls her Bloomy, Agent Bloomy, and, and she calls him Agent Cunty. It feels a lot like Ray Liotta and Julian Moore in Hannibal. Like Very much so, actually. They have that kind of dynamic. Um, yeah, basically, I think he's on, like he seems to be on to it. Like, yeah, Julie Benz is up to some shit, or she's not doing these crime scenes well enough, and he's wanting to shut her down. Yeah, get he's her off the he's case. he's the man. Like yeah. he, he shows up and he's swinging dick. And uh, really funny, actually, Rob Wells's face is on the monitor that uh, Yakovetos yeah. was on earlier. That's what and I he's just kind of like here. nodding in acknowledgement, like furrowing his brow because he's hearing everything that's being said. So it's just this big floating head in the background of half of these <laughs> shots. Uh, and he does have a funny face. Um, and then we get a cute little st- we get a cute little character moment here where um, Agent Kunstler is going over the crime scene and positing on what happened. And uh, Agent Bloom asks the three detectives who up until now have been kind of like stooges. Uh, she asks them to give their thoughts on what happened and they very succinctly and accurately explain what happened. So it's like, oh my God, after all this time hanging out with these super competent FBI agents, they actually learned something. Unless they figure out how to open doors. Like they're, they're <laughs> how to open up doors. <laughs> they managed to figure it out. I'm picturing Greenlee like doing like a cat a cat on a door handle and just kind of batting at it until it opens oh jeez just um and then he's the he's the one he's the raptor that they use for bait to kill Muldoon uh, he's not the clever girl uh, yeah he's he's the alien at the beginning alien resurrection that they all kill 
to create a hole in the floor. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's like, well, you got to serve a purpose, buddy. We'll we'll get out. You won't, but <laughs> uh, oh no, they'll need one of us in the wreckage. Um, <laughs> I think this is where Greenly. Uh, <laughs> We're going kind of nuts here. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, dude. This movie is not good. Um, Took Greenly, me to dark places. Greenly's about to die. Um, <laughs> he is about to die. Uh, where are they? Are they in the bar? Which this is the Mexican? Which bar is this? Well, long story short, uh, well, I mean, we we actually get the playback of the of the apartment shootout. It's a very long, very stupid scene. Yeah, it's inconsequential. Um, yeah, dies. that's it. That's that's yeah. It, it, again, this dead. this is one of those scenes where I was like, oh, again, this is two thousand nine. Um, there's interesting editing here. Not good. Interesting. Where uh. Clifton Collins Jr. is dressed up as like a food delivery guy or something. He he uh, takes a janitor hostage and he's oh yeah he's interrogating him like demanding that he give him a good like quote or tagline to say after the shooting's done yeah and he's very insistent that this guy give him an answer and he the whole time he's waving a gun in his face and uh, before. They break off, though. The McManuses tell him, uh, just point your gay guns at them and, for Christ's sake, try to look cool or something. And uh, as they're heading up in the elevator, Norman Reedus has the trailer line, I'm guessing, because I don't remember any promotion for this movie. Uh, Let's do some gratuitous violence. Yeah. Um, Coming from the trench coat mafia, that's not a thing you want to (laughs) hear. But yeah, uh, interspersed between, like, the McManuses uh, prepping to in, like invade the room, and Clifton Collins Jr. interrogating this janitor guy. We get Judd Nelson like rallying the troops, just kind of saying stuff, stuff and things. Yeah, it, it's just stuff and things. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr. references Jaws and Terminator. Uh, we're going to need a bigger boat, and I'll be back. Um, and now the the brothers are on some like scaffolding. Rapid fire movie references here. Uh, reference to the Iger Sanction, the Clint Eastwood film that my dad had me watch when I was a kid. I don't remember a fucking thing about it. <laughs> uh, they see the black cat again. Uh, and then we get a callback to a gag from the first film about uh, Sean Patrick Flannery wanting a rope, um, oh, seemingly yeah. without reason, rope. but but it comes into play here. Uh, and then we get the actual reenactment of the shootout and this is where julie ben shows up in her cowgirl outfit yeah uh some they take some like artistic license here where basically the brothers swing in on their ropes they come in through the window with their two desert eagles apiece yeah they they they, like what what is it called a power slide when you're in a rock concert and you slide on your knees sure i know what you mean but yeah we'll, we'll call it power slide yeah they they power slide the entire length of this room <laughs> shooting the whole time and julie benz is standing in the center of the room in a full-blown like yeehaw cowgirl outfit like brandishing a couple of revolvers uh she's like serving as the narrator for the scene i guess mm-hmm. uh and yeah everybody dies it's boring yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we get a really strange moment here that i don't understand the logic of it where uh, clifton collins jr 
like kicks open the door and he says, "Who ordered the the whoop ass fajitas?" But then Julie Benz approaches him and uh, Julie Benz, who is not present by the way, she's a specter, she's a ghost, she's an apparition. Uh, she tells him, "Oh, you kicked the door down, right? Maybe you should use that for your line." And we get a repeat of the scene, but he says a different line. He says, "Ding yeah. dong, motherfucker, ding dong." Um, yeah. So the logic there, it's just like, what? What? (laughs) It doesn't make make any sense. Uh, She's, yeah, she's like reiterating the crime scene and she wouldn't know what he said or did not say or that he's even there. Actually, she just introduced a third person with the Boondock Saints. So do they know us three people at this point? If they didn't, they do now because she's saying there is. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, there's certainly two different kinds of weapons exchanged or fired yeah. rather i don't know <laughs> yeah uh long story short uh we cut back to the crime scene in the present rob wells comes out of the panic room and just like casually snatches her <laughs> and uh he spills his guts to her and like tells her some stuff about the old man who is apparently oh, yeah. the puppet master who was guiding everybody's hand along the way um and this is where we get the death of Greenlee, I think, at the bar. Yeah. yeah, the guys are just sitting in the bar, and Greenlee just walks in and just says, ah, bam, he just gets shot from the back uh, right through the heart. And the, a little Italian guy, who I think I think he looks like a soccer player. Like, every time I see him, I'm like, he's got a soccer player's haircut. I think he's – I think it's what he is. He's not. I don't think he is. Um, but who does he grab hostage at this point? Uh, a person. <laughs> I can't I remember. remember grabbed, I don't remember. He grabs somebody hostage, but oh, um, oh, it's Doc. It's Doc. Doc. He grabs Doc yeah. hostage, which uh, that's fine. I would have. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can have him. Um, but their dad just pops in, and uh, out of nowhere, and this is a really weird emotional scene. They're like, "Oh, Dad, don't you don't do it." Blah, 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 blah. So it, the the he lets Doc go. Because uh, El Duce pulls out two pistols from the 1930s. They break open like a cap gun. I know what kind of gun it is, but yeah, they. I don't even think these things are made anymore. They can't be. Uh, I mean, these are British revolvers that were used like World War Two and pre-World War Two. I think maybe cops in the 70s had these, and I think those are the last people to have this kind of gun uh but he puts one bullet in each one and spins it and the italian guy apparently knows what this is um it's it is a uh, a mexican russian roulette off i guess i don't know what else to like like a mexican standoff but with russian roulette where they both have a gun and they have to hold the gun to the other person's head to pull the trigger uh, stupid is what it's called, Kyle. Yeah, stupid. Uh, I, could, I, I promise you that he was the most excited about this. He's like, I just got this fucking great no, idea. I, I mentioned like when we first started recording that it feels like certain things are just here because there was enthusiasm to do them, not because it was relevant to anything. And this stinks of it where it's just like, this is a cool thing that I, I want to put in something even if it's not appropriate for that thing. He's like, I can't rip off the deer hunter. How can I rip off the deer hunter without it being ripping off the deer hunter? Oh, I'll just do a different kind of Russian roulette. Well, what's funny is all, all, all you'd have to do to win this outcome is just click, 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 done. Yeah, who can but click But no, the they, do, they do this thing where they're yelling at each other and they just pull the trigger occasionally. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, the the little Italian man, like he says like a mantra to himself, like make me famous. Something um, like that. It's really it's stupid. It's that Napoleon complex you referenced earlier. And Billy Connolly just keeps asking him, like, where is the old man? Where's the old man? He's not going to um, give him up. Yeah. And then uh, he, tell, he, he tells his boys, like, back the fuck off. They, they both have guns to the Italian guy, by the way. No, yeah, you're going to die one way or another, so. Yeah, but they don't shoot him. Uh, they just let Da do things his way. Um, and, yeah, long story short, Hitman's dead. He's got a bullet between the eyes. Um. <sighs> And I think this is where Rocco comes back. Oh yes, oh yes. This is like this is like maybe the most important scene in the movie, not not to the movie, just okay, in terms okay. of like. This is the this is th- what we've been building to as far as the pod, like as far as this episode. Yeah, goes, yeah. This is there's a lot going on here, and it doesn't connect to anything. It's just a weird little tangent that I think. I think maybe I figured Troy out what Dutton- the cat is. <laughs> I think the I figure what the I think I think I figure out what the cat is doing. The cat is the familiar for Rocco's spirit, and Rocco has been <laughs> trying to get in touch with the saints. And his familiar is like it's coming by, and they're like, well, "That's weird." And then they see the cat again, like that's really fucking weird. And that's why we have the scene where the cat runs across the bar when Rocco shows up. Like I think that's what it was supposed to be. It's stupid, but I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that. Well. Uh- Side note, every time I hear somebody say it's stupid in that tone, I think of Galaxy Quest. Um, <laughs> I just Sigourney, it. Sigourney Weaver has that line where she's talking about <laughs> what it means to be the gal who just repeats everything that the, the computer says. Yep. Yeah. She's like, I have one job on this ship. It's stupid, stupid. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. <laughs> that movie holds up hard i really enjoy that movie. it's really but, yeah good. for some reason every time i hear that phrase i think of her i almost cried i oh. almost cried watching it this last time it's not it's a it's a fun movie i really enjoy it it's and, fantastic. i mean when i first saw it and enjoyed it uh, i had zero familiarity with star trek now that I have, fami- now that I know things about star trek it's probably more fun we watched a lot of tng with our grandpa uh, he tried to get us into Stargate. We weren't. We weren't about that shit. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I've tried watching it. I'm like, I'll give it a try. You know, I'll just see what happens. Hey, no, no. Uh, so yeah, Rocco shows up, and they all they have they have a sh- they they take a shot. The cat runs across the bar, mm-hmm. and Rocco looks at the like after watching the cat walk back. He looks at the guys. Sean Patrick Flannery gives him a look. It's not even a look. He just kind of like. Like, just tilts his head a little bit. It's not even like, oh, there's that fucking cat, or like, oh, man. There's no these, there's no emotion in it. It's really weird. But this is where he gives them a, a pep talk, which Troy is good at, quote-unquote. He's yeah. good at speeches. He's Speech good at five. speeches. I, I mean, I, we, I talked about in the last episode where it's, he's not he doesn't write dialogue he just writes speeches and that's what this on, feels like is he on twitter now like is he is he with us is he with the present day people in america i hope he is cause <laughs> um I, i'd be curious to know i actually haven't checked but um yeah i feel so, like this next part the best way to sum it up we're gonna get into it but yeah toxic masculinity is that uh 
what I could use to describe. It's what we're toxic to masculinity married to men's right activism. Oh my goodness, he'd be a proud boy. He'd a hundred percent. Yeah, be a no, proud boy. he would pal around with the proud boys, and he would have a maga cap. Like, mm. oh, don't even get. Yeah, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the I actually think that you're right about the cat familiar thing. Like okay. that does makes that makes enough sense <laughs> that I okay. that I follow. So good for you. Um, the question though is, why? <laughs> Honestly, I think Rock, like this guy, David Delarocco, uh huh, is his best friend in real life. I think so. Yeah. I mean, he seems like an affable guy. I would love to, if I was in Boston or wherever he lives, and I bumped into him at a bar. I would love to have a drink with him. I'm sure he's a lot of fun. But he killed him. He fucked up. He killed him in that first movie. And he's like, oh, I got to bring him back somehow. Um, this serves nothing other than this motivation. This serves no purpose. Like and they don't, they don't even, motivation. they don't need motivation at this point. What, th- like, they just got the motivation. Somebody yeah. just held a gun to their dad's head. That would probably piss me off. Yeah. And by the way, their dad's safe. He's yeah, fine. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, everything's fine. Greenlee's dead, but he's fine. Yeah, fuck him. But whatever El Duce says, hey, we got to kill this dude. And like, yeah, that's fine. That's enough motivation for us. That's all we needed the whole time. That's all we needed, yeah. Dad. Just tell us we need to kill somebody. No, this this three-minute scene stands for... It It adds nothing. It just, it just is. And I feel like, yes, David Della Rocco is probably Troy Duffy's good friend. I also suspect that this entire speech... Which is not actually speech. There is a bit of a conversation going on here. Maybe came as a result or was like transcribed from an actual conversation that they had <laughs> while drunk. No, stone cold sober drinking tea on Sunday afternoon. Fuck yeah, they were drunk though. <laughs> <laughs> but it it feels like something like a, a rant that it's to, a rant. To, it is a hardcore rant. It is a rant in service to nothing. Um, he, so. We should get into the actual details of what's said here. Um, uh, I didn't. I couldn't write it all down because it all came so fast. I'll highlight. I'm gonna tell you my highlighted phrases, and you let me know yours. I have, fuck therapy. Uh, paraphrase: meat, red meat is awesome. Men don't cry. Men punch people, and we mm-hmm. build stuff. That's yeah. The gist that's that I, that's the reference to 9/11. A second reference. To yeah, 9/11, that's the second reference. They're, to they're standing among some skyscrapers, and they make make mention of like. Men build things until they break down, and then we rebuild them. Twin Towers. Um, Yeah, hard men doing hard shit. Real men hide their feelings. Um, (laughs) Yeah, oh, great. Yeah. Um, By the way, the the McManus brothers both cry in this film, so good job following up on that. Yeah. Uh, uh, But basically, it's yeah, it's just like a a pro-manliness speech. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it's problematic to say the least, especially today. Like back then, yeah, yeah, maybe not so much. But today, it's like, ooh, this is just not good, <laughs> not good for anyone. Um, yeah, it's it's real stupid. They end up in a hockey rink and they're like just standing, jabbering at each other, hyping each other up for no fucking reason. Yeah, dur- um, during this whole tirade, uh, the opening title music from the first film is playing mm-hmm. which again is a very good piece of music i will give them that um but yeah greenley is like in hockey gear circling them and uh snaps them back to reality by like doing a slap shot at them 
after saying something that I didn't quite catch because I was just like so blown away by the utter stupidity of what was being said at the moment. But yeah, they're basically like all three of them standing in a circle, like putting their arms up and just screaming at each other, like pro pro man shit. Yeah, just manning out. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty they to, stupid. They needed to have their pants off or something. <laughs> Seriously, it's pretty dumb. Oh. Yeah, did you have anything else to say about this stupid scene? No, it it I would actually highly recommend you look it up cuz yeah. I'm sure it's easy to find. That's the best thing you can do to if you want to get a gist of this movie, just watch that one scene. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it. just watch that one scene. It's pretty um, fucking stupid. Um my next note just says the vest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stupid fucking vest. Yeah, uh it's the 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 holster slash harness from the first film that Il Duce wore, the six-gun harness, which only has four guns in it, I think. Uh, maybe he added two more to it later. It's but, six. There's six in the first in the first movie. Uh, but yeah, uh, Da finally tells the boys about the old man and who this old man is. Um, and so he tells the tale, and we get a flashback of uh, him and his Italian friend run around killing a bunch of mobsters. So they went into business together, kind of like the Punisher and Microchip, a.k.a. Wayne Knight. <laughs> yeah. um, Il Duce did all the killing, and the Italian friend was like the fixer, the supplier. Um, and then we cut to uh, the old man, who still has been hidden from us. It's Peter Fonda. Um, making a call to some, some friend of his, like enlisting some hired muscle. That's... It's a cute little scene where he makes references to needing tomatoes when he clearly has many, and tomatoes is code for muscle. Yeah. Um, and then Agent Bloom gets our boys a location for Louis, aka in a the old man. Yeah, he's in a greenhouse in Maine. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Why is he in sure. Maine? Um, it needs to be said that all the all the scenes with the old man in Maine in the greenhouse uh, the color grading is radically different from the rest of the movie the rest of the movie is pretty flat in the way it's shot like and the way it's lit it's pretty boring to look at but everything's like has a tin like a blue tinge to it and mm-hmm. in, uh, in the old man scenes so it's it looks more interesting which it makes me better sus- it looks better to the point that it makes me suspect that it was shot at a different time than the rest of the film like maybe earlier possible. or later in production probably earlier because if you need Peter Fonda, maybe you'd want to get his stuff done right away. This is where they spent all the money. <laughs> was just I, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what it looks like. Because I forgot to mention how bad the green screen was when they were swinging on their ropes. I think that I, I mentioned. I might have mentioned this briefly before. Um, this uh, uh, Boondock Saints one aired at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, yeah, and. Easy Rider, which Peter Fonda was, I believe, a co-writer for, Dennis Hopper directed, mm-hmm. um, was a big deal. I think that I, well, I know Troy Duffy has seen Easy Rider, and I think he probably wanted Dennis Hopper for the part, but I think Dennis Hopper passed away uh, pretty Maybe. early in the two thousands. Um, but yeah, I think this is, I think this is why he wanted probably Peter Fonda was because he was probably a huge fan of easy rider and probably saw himself being that next easy rider like oh we're gonna just fucking clean up at the con fe- the con film festival like it's just gonna be incredible well Boom. like i meant like i mentioned on the previous episode peter fonda was also doing ghost rider and wild hogs around this time so i think he was looking for a paycheck 
but hang out with Nick Cage, like you could probably get some people like, oh, I could hang out with Nick Cage for a little bit. He like, had doesn't seem too bad. He had like ten seconds with Nick Cage, if that. Still gets to have lunch with Nick Cage. I would love to. Have lunch with Nick Cage. <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> he probably did it just to, like Nick Cage was so busy. He's like, you know what? I, I'm not gonna be able to pencil you in, but I'm doing this movie. If you want just like a quick ten seconds in there, we can have lunch then. Craft well, services, Go- of course. Ghost Rider took it to another level, though, because it's like, so we're doing this superhero movie that has reference to motorcycles. You're that you're that old guy that was in that one movie with that motorcycle, right? You should be in this movie because like people will get the reference. And he's just like, I hate you so much. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, it's probably the you know nothing of, of my body of work. <laughs> it's probably the equivalent of uh, actors doing voiceover, like Charlton Heston doing voiceover, Morgan Freeman. Like they're probably they were just fucking sick. Well, of it. Like, I, mean, I don't that's... care. Put me in a Zach Braff move, directed movie. I don't give a shit. No, I mean, it, like Charlton Heston's a. a perfect example because like he's in the tim burton planet of the apes because uh, he was in, in the first one in makeup too yeah he he is what he hates <laughs> he is um, a damn dirty ape so yeah now we get to the end shootout we're gonna try to wrap this thing up yeah the final showdown uh, uh there's some artful macro shots in here that again feel like they came from a different production yeah uh it's like I him think- him like preparing the tomato and and like uh, the necklace hanging from from the staircase like handrail and like him putting on the phonograph and stuff it's like all these shots that's like those look calculated which makes me not think of think Troy Duffy at all that's <laughs> 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 uh, funny um I like the techno music at this in shootout it felt like uh blade for some reason I, it it just worked for me uh, I yeah, don't know what that, you thought about this shootout. I thought it was ill-conceived. Uh, I don't know who was shooting at who. And I think... Who kills the, the old man? Who kills Louie? So before the shooting starts, uh, Billy Connolly goes into the house alone. Oh. And, and he and Peter Fonda, Louie, uh, have a long back and forth. sitting About in t- Nothing about nothing where they sit across from each other they just kind of talk about stuff louis i guess louis motivation was that he would when they were young he was trying to use billy Connolly to kill off all the mobsters so he could join the mob like so he could go to the surviving elements and like become one of them uh i thought based on the young actors like interpretation of things um, his younger self i thought his angle was going to be that i never wanted to be involved in any of this you dragged me into it yeah by by killing a guy in front of me and forcing me to come along with you no not at all he's just greedy yeah and, and manipulative um but yeah the, the shooting the whole shootout the choreography is blah it's entirely in slow motion the music actually is okay like i didn't mm. mind it at all um interesting sound editing again not good just interesting where uh it's all (laughs) fascinating uh there's no uh there's no sound effects it's all music for at least Mm. two-thirds of it until our heroes get clipped um at which point the sound gradually comes back in they do this also with uh julie benz when she's doing a crime scene investigation where she has her earplugs in and just for a moment there's no sound 
and then when she pulls them out sound um i i think there i think there is an explicit reference to the killer the john woo movie i think that, you're right that we uh we did a we recorded an episode for but i have yet to post it i didn't realize uh, you haven't posted that yet <laughs> it's been a very long time it's probably been a couple of months but um yeah there's some cutaway shots to a angel statue being blown up by all the gunfire if you'll recall that happens in the church scene in the killer as well um but yeah billy Connolly gets shot uh he's injured uh both of the mcmanus brothers are injured as well at clifton collins jr just disappears yeah, during he's this not in here at all he's no he's th- he's there but I don't, I, I don't in the aftermath when the police show up he's just not there did well, he I, die it's possible. He's Maybe not be I don't. Th- I can. I can promise you. If there's a Boondock Saints three, he is nowhere near it. Well, I mean, you got to continue the cycle where we're continually looking for a replacement, David Del Rocco. I mean, at that point, it might be Kevin Spacey because <laughs> he's going to get and. Oh yeah. my God! Boondock Saints three, directed by Troy Duffy, starring Kevin Spacey, shot in China. <laughs> <laughs> If it's not released theatrically, I'm still going to buy it if that's what happens. No, it'll be the Boondock Saints go to Japan to kill some, yeah, to, to, to kill some Japanese business people or something, but they're being backed by the Chinese or something. I yeah, could totally that see that. Sounds about right. Um, long story short, uh, Billy Connolly dies, but before that happens, he shoots Louie in the face. Uh, and then as the McManuses are leaving the greenhouse, uh, a bunch of cops roll up on them. And uh, in slow motion, we see them drop their guns. So I guess they gave up. Um, and then Agent Bloom, uh, she's got she got herself a new haircut. Uh, and she is with not Tom Wilkins, the priest from the beginning of the film. Uh, and he's escorting her to safety. Um, so he's helping her like leave the country or something. And... My note here says, oh, Jesus, they got Willem back. <laughs> surprise. Uh, surprise. I, saw, I knew this was coming, and I saw him sitting there. I'm like, I would put money down. His name is not in the credits. <laughs> like, He's like, do not put my name anywhere near this. He probably, I, I'm assuming he had to come back. Like, I think it was mentioned he might have been contractually obligated to come back and do a scene. Or maybe he was just like, Maybe he's just that nice of a guy that he was just like, you know what, I'll do a scene. It'll just be a cameo if it will help you out with the movie and you leave me the fuck alone after this. Maybe that's what it was. He's like, I'm trying to do three of these movies. Like, I tell you what, I'll give you five. I'll give you five minutes of shooting. Yeah. And watch this was shot. This was shot in his backyard, like on his personal dock or something. He's like, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't die. I'm still alive. Um we got to keep these boys out of prison. We're going to put you on a boat. She's super mad or whatever. Yeah, by, by the way, he, he makes it known. I am gay. I am playing a gay character. Just so you know, I didn't even know. What does he say? He doesn't, he basically comments on her, her hairdo. Oh, and yeah, 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 she was yeah, like, yeah. I was at your funeral. And he comments on her shoes and her dress. And it's like, yeah. okay, he's into fashion. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Did you see Will and Grace? Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
uh, and then we cut. He's kind of still talking, and he's like, "There's gonna be a lot of people after these boys. We gotta keep them. Uh, we gotta keep them." Oh, safe. he's he's from he's from Maine now. <laughs> There's uh, gonna be a lot of people after these boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch out for those McManus brothers. Watch out for those McManus brothers. Sometimes um, dead is better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the voiceover is going in and. We go to, um, either we cut to the boys in prison, and we see a bunch of people out on the yard, and it's like, we're about to take your lunch money, punk kind of deal. Yeah, like, yeah. And they're like, they're going to be in some serious trouble. And the boys give the guys out in the yard the finger. Um, I'm going to reference Deadpool 2 here, where uh, Deadpool and the kid are in this maximum security prison for mutants where they have uh, these collars that keep them from using their superpower, what what makes them strong. And Deadpool ends up getting the shit kicked out of him because he can't heal himself and he doesn't know how to fight. (laughs) Same deal. uh, These two dipshits need guns to get anything done. And if you have an entire prison full of guys that want to beat your ass, oh, they're going to beat that ass. Like, there's no getting around it. Yeah, Maybe I think... don't stick up a middle finger to them. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of the end of The One. Where Jet Li's on the prison planet. He says, I am Eula. I am nobody's bitch. You are mine. Oh, I remember that one scene. I didn't yeah. watch that movie at all. I remember that one scene. Yeah, that's the very end of the movie. But, oh. um... When Willem Dafoe is talking at Julie Benz, um, this is where I remember I said put a pin in that. Um, so, not Tom Wilkins, the Catholic priest. Um, so she's like, why are you helping me? And he's like, oh, the people I work for want to help you and the saints. And she's like, who do you work for? And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Go talk to Willem Dafoe. He's out over the, on the dock. And then when she's talking to Willem Dafoe, he, I think... Th- explicitly like states like um i i'm backed by the largest corporation in the world and he like gestures to the priest so i think they're talking about the catholic church yeah yeah as as endorsing the boondock saints the roman catholic church Uh uh-huh where is rome (laughs) far away is it in italy have the saints not been targeting specifically Italians? Yeah, I think about like what ninety percent of the people they kill. Ninety percent of the people they kill. Maybe a stray Italian. Russian or Chinese person here and there, but mostly Italian. There was a couple of Chinese people in there. Yeah, definitely yeah, a couple. Well, people Troy thought looked Chinese. Uh, yeah, that that one guy's Cantonese was not the sharpest, um, <laughs> and he was also gigantic. Like, <laughs> there, uh, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that's the Boondock Saints too. Uh, All Saints Day. Yeah, it's pretty pretty stupid. Um, definitely watch. I mean, I would say watch this movie because if you've seen the first one, you should definitely watch the second one, and for sure watch Overnight. Yeah, Overnight is the one legit, very good film of the trio. Um, it's very fascinating to take a look into the mind of Mr. Troy Duffy. It's, it's a fascinating it's not, franchise. It's so strange. Like it, it, it. I would say it's a product of its time, but it's not. <laughs> it's a product of like times between times. Like it, it has no home. 
because the, the action isn't good the dialogue isn't great why why is this <laughs> i think that i now pronounce you chuck and larry is one of those movies where adam sandler's made funny movies um he's made more terrible movies than he's made good mm-hmm. but i now pronounce you chuck and larry is very much of that early 2000s time post 9-11 um for some reason, we were we were doing okay with gay people in the '90s, and then the 2000s hit, and we were just not feeling it. Um, post 9/11, and that movie is I I hate that movie. Rob Rob Schneider is offensive. Um, the way they handle um, homosexuality in that movie is really annoying. But it's of that time, and you're yeah, like, very much you so. Understand, and it's there's nothing. I don't think there's anything personal. The Duffy movies are personal it's very much it's just troy duffy yeah no there's a lot of once you've seen him in overnight once you've seen the man and and how he operates and how he thinks there are a lot of instances where it's like yeah he's just using these characters as a conduit to to get his thoughts out there in some fashion we need a man get on twitter troy (laughs) (laughs) all right well on that note i guess that yeah. Uh, concludes our evening with Troy Duffy. Yeah, I don't know what we have in store next week. We still have to figure that out. So, stand yeah. by. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, catch you next time.